wandering free. Wish I could be part of their cast. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. It <laughs> was wonderful. You're welcome. I thought it was great. I almost, I almost pulled it off. I, I lost it in the middle there, and I pulled it back down. He, he, here's my question. Here's my question. What we've got, um, part of one, their two. Cast. We've got four more musicals on the horizon. Are you asking me if I'm going to do it all four times? I think you should. I think I probably will. Right? Why not? I think I probably will. Because Great Mouse Detective, I know it has songs, but like, um, you, you know, it's not the same thing. But like this, this, you know, we're now we're in Broadway musical level type. You know, like there's the, we got to do a musical opening. Well, also, you have to remember uh, at the time we're recording this, the episode won't come out for another month or so. But at the time we're recording this, I'm hot off of the success of um, uh, the new Watto a holiday parody song. All I Watto for Life Day is you. Uh, so I caught the bug again. Not to give myself away. Well, first of all, I was like wondering what you were going to do. And I feel stupid mm. for not guessing that. Part of their cast. And second, uh, you also sang the intro the last time I was on the main feed. Oh, that was the last time you were on the main feed was I'll Do Anything? <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean. That horrible, horrible song. <laughs> I there are few things I love more than putting ten percent of effort into rewriting words, lyrics. <laughs> like I I love a good not even half assed but like quarter assed uh, uh, parody uh, songwriting. Um, <laughs> I, of course, this was for the George Lucas uh, talk show uh, Life Day Holiday Special. I I took while the show was going. I took uh, All I Want for Christmas is You, and I did search and just replaced every instance of Christmas with Life Day and every instance of Want with Watto, and that was pretty much the end of my rewriting. And it reminded me that it's it's the most fulfilling work in the world to to do that lazy a job rewriting song lyrics. Did you put out the Watto live album? No, I never did. Cause, no, because I never recorded it. I, 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 I thought about doing it with the show, but but in my mind, part of me wanted to re-record it. I don't know. I mean, the world ended. Eh, I want to hear those songs again. Yeah, part of me wants to redo them. Were you at that show, Esther? I was not. Um, I was seeing well, Six the Musical that night. No, I'm fine. very sorry. No, it's fine. Um, it was the last comedy show, but none of us could have I known know. that at the time. I thought you were going to do more Watto shows. I thought so, too. It we was. had a second one on the books. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, uh, it was huge. But uh, I know you're right. It's it brings me great joy to uh, replace three words in a popular song. I probably will continue doing it for the rest of this miniseries. Uh, please do. Thank you very much. I'm so excited to talk about this movie and introduce our guests. But I guess you should intro the show. Oh, I should introduce the show. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, this is Blank Check with Griffin David. Of course, I'm Griffin. Oh, I'm David. A little quicker on the response time there. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success. What are you doing? You're hitting a fork on a Sebastian. Tank? Oh, he's being, being Sebastian. Sebastian. Oh, folks, he's being Sebastian. This is going to be a, a fucking goofball David episode. I love this movie. 
It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce, baby. I don't know. <laughs> sometimes uh, they, they b- bounce. bounce. <laughs> Uh, this is, this is, I, I'm trying to decide here. Is this a clear? Would we say? This one cleared. Little Mermaid cleared? (laughs) This one also had a bit of a tail, you might say. A little bit of a tail. Uh, here's the wild, the wild detail. I just saw your art, Ben, Jesus Christ. Uh, Ben has replaced his virtual background. He's leaning, like, back in his chair, like, eight feet away from the camera and he's got a background of like, what would I say? It's like a SoundCloud rapper version of Ariel. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> she's smoking a massive spliff. Uh, she's she smoking have- the weed and like is looking very cool. I mean, I, I was trying to find a virtual background. I stumbled upon the fan art. Uh, uh, world of Ariel, and it's fascinating. There's goth versions. Yeah. There's tattooed versions. I mean, well, the all of it wildly Ariel inappropriate. Shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just went for like a like a blunted Ariel. What can I say? Uh, I like the <laughs> yeah, way you say her name. She's blunted, all right. Yeah. Um, I I was I was just looking at like uh, uh, stats and stuff before the episode started. This movie made like 85 million uh, in theaters first run. And then by like two years later, it had made a billion dollars, like all <laughs> combined, all revenue streams, re-releases, video right. releases, all that soundtrack stuff. sales, just like everything like this movie, things directly tied to this movie had within two years made a billion dollars for the studio. There's there's like the line they casually throw out in Waking Sleeping Beauty that I think about all the time, but I think it's pretty indisputable, especially up until that point in time, right? Like up until the late 2000s when billion dollar movies first run worldwide start becoming more of a thing. This run of the Disney Renaissance movies, the top tier films were the most profitable movies ever made. Like they were up until that time all revenue streams combined, the most profitable films ever made. I, to, to be clear, when it comes to The Little Mermaid, that was mostly Sebastian's Calypso album, right? Like that was, was huge. that was the thing, which was I owned yeah. uh, on CD. It was the like yeah. one of the first CDs I ever owned. And I listen to it every day and it has a great cover if you can get it really, if you really want by Jimmy Cliff. But you know that David Sonnenberg <laughs> fucked him on the record deal, right? He like never yeah, made money off of it. Yeah, I know. That's why he did. That's why he did his follow up album, Sebastian Party Grass, which is a weird pun because Mardi Gras is already like it's it's a party. Like, I don't know if you really need to plus no. Mardi Gras. Like, no. It's kind of a shame that Sebastian didn't do more movies, right? The guy, the guy's so good at being in movies. I, I think he was too busy being second in command of a of an aquatic empire, yeah. which well, seems to be his job. He, he's got the Janelle Monae problem. It's like, oh, it turns out you're <laughs> accidentally a great movie star. How much focus are you willing to put towards that? Um, not to get too into it, but we were, but I was watching this, rewatching this for the millionth time with my boyfriend yesterday, and he a was like, brag. "Okay, stop, 
sorry. Yes. Humble brag. Um, okay. Stop. We have to discuss what the, wait, what, like who, what, what role does Sebastian play in this? Right. What is, what is his formal? Like, if you think of like, is he a chief of staff? Is he the vice president? Like what is his job? Does that little seahorse have more power or less power than Sebastian? We got to talk about the fucking seahorse. It's a huge thing. It needs to be discussed. (laughs) I forget his name, but he's got a name. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Harold. His name is Harold because he's a Harold. Harold. Right, get it? It's a, of course. It's a joke. I got it. Right. Holy shit. Right. It, it is funny. Like it's, I don't know, David, I feel like you've been watching like shitty, uh, a fucking like middling, uh, popcorn movies of the last 10 years a lot in, uh, mm. in lockdown. And right, like right, so right, often right. we'll have these conversations where you're like, I rewatched this movie from six years ago. It feels quaint now. Like this thing right. that you and I are are so quick to do, which is like, oh, this movie that I think is garbage, I now find somewhat nostalgic. Right, like, There's because, something there, right? Yeah. And also because <laughs> shit has gotten so bad that everything feels quaint now. You know, it's just like every passing year, last year's trash now looks like some weird artisanal object. <laughs> the death spiral is so intense. Yes. That right. I mean, because I put on the skeleton key, which is like I guess like 15 years old, but that's a movie I. Threw oh, I kind of like I, that movie, the Kate Hudson Jenna Rollins movie. Right. I threw yeah. that on, and I was like, I mean, this is basically a masterpiece, right? right? Like right, this is right. this is terrific, right? This is well, this is well paced. Like this has a lot of atmosphere, you know. Like, and I'm, I'm like, no, I. It's probably just a seven out of ten, but it's yeah. it's good. It's also reverse Get Out. I, whatever we right. can't talk about the skeleton. Someone right now. someone posted on the on the subreddit recently that uh, I've just genuinely turned into Eli Wallach's character from The Holiday. That I now <laughs> just go like, can you believe that this movie does this today? This movie would do that. <laughs> do you know what a meat cute is? Yeah, it's all I do now. I just I'm I'm mourning the death of the thing I'm watching die right in front of me in real time. Uh, and the funeral is being uh, uh, released day and date on HBO Max. Listen, this is a main series on the films of Musker and Clements. It's called The Pottle Murcast, and today we're talking about that oh, movie. Oh, God. Esther, yeah, that's we, it's called, Esther. We had, we had limited options. What are you going to call it? Treasure podcast? Hey, it is a treasure, this podcast. It, this podcast is a national treasure. But then if we use that title, then what would we call our John Turtletop miniseries? <laughs> These are the tough choices we have to make. We would call our John Turtletop miniseries Pod Turtle Cast. I don't know. We'd go back to the... Uh, uh, yeah, just just put it in their name. Pod Night Shama Cast structure. Right. Um Listen, we we got a really exciting guest today for a very particular reason. I mean, she's one of our favorite people, but more importantly, she's breaking a pattern today. Mm. For the first time ever, yes. she's talking about a good movie on this <laughs> podcast. She had verbalized to both of us separately <laughs> and together that she would like to talk about a good movie someday because she felt like she only gets to talk about absolute garbage on this show. Yeah, I would say... Easily the best movie you've ever talked about on this show is Captain Marvel, which you did on the <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah on the Patreon, film. which and I that's did not a like. Flawed no. film at best, <laughs> yeah. right? Right, yeah. a movie that none of us like. But uh, uh, we we were like trying to think who to have on this episode, and we threw out a couple of the names of like our favorites, our regulars, and I said, David, let's ask Esther. 
We've never let her cover a good movie. And then Esther responded to you and texted me independently saying, finally, I get to cover a good movie on the show. Yes. Esther Zuckerman. Yes. Ladies. Hello. And germs. Hello. Ladies and, ladies and crabs. <laughs> I don't know. And, and what did you say to me? We didn't know this, but when I, when I said I was very aware of the fact that you were overdue to be given a good movie, what did you say sits next to your desk, Esther? Uh, a sketch of Flounder by Flounder's original artist um, that my parents got for me when I was a very little girl. Um, oh. So that is literally to my left. I can't, I don't know, my left or my right. And then um, on to my right is a poster from uh, the Orpheum run, which was like the second off-Broadway run, not the tiny, tiny run mm -hmm. of Little Shop of Horrors. Um, this movie is like, very formative to me in yes. many, many ways. Um, it's very important to me, and I'm like very excited to talk about it. I'm very excited for you to say, right? I feel like Esther, we used to work together. Esther, you work for Thrillist right now, obviously. We should shout this out. You wrote a book, yes. we should shout that out. Thank you. Uh, right at the top, Field Guide to Internet Boyfriends. But we, when we work together, that's what it's called, right? I get, did I nail it? Yeah. Yeah, you nailed, I nailed it. it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank um, you. My publisher will be very happy. <laughs> um, but also, when we work together, we just would talk about Howard Ashman a lot. I feel like, yeah, you know, and Menken, yeah. Menken, Menken, Ashman. We would mm -hmm. talk about, yeah, uh, you know that 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 whole mythos uh, a fair amount. And this is this is the this is the big you know cinematic yeah. launch of yeah. Menken Ashman, right, Ashman. I could get into this whole spiel now or later, but like I have this sort of personal connection that is both right. real and also sort of like invented in my head. I think a little bit um, that I can, I I can, I can hold off on it. It's like a no, sort I, of a I, longer story. I I think let's get into it. I I think I yeah. mean I I sort of set this up in the Great Mass Detective, and I'm sure I'm going to keep on saying this ad infinium for the rest of this miniseries, but this is kind of a weird one for us because Musker and Clements are the least auteurist directors we've covered on this show. Not just because there's two of them, but also because they're such company men. The Disney machinery was so huge. This and Aladdin are so much Ashman Menken movies, you know? Right. Not that they're anonymous. There are, I, I, I'm sure no. are certain through lines we will no. be able to identify, but but... All of their films feel part of larger waves more than their own narratives. It's true. It's true. I mean, Treasure Planet being the least, I would imagine. Yeah. When we get to yeah. that one. Right. I was saying this to David. It was really interesting rewatching this last night because I feel like I've always watched it with an eye towards the, like, the storytelling and the songwriting and mm -hmm. like sort of thinking of knowing we knowing it was the Musker Clements movie, like mini series and sort of thinking about it like as a directorial effort was like very interesting to me to like think about I guess like while yeah. watching it was like an it was an it was an it was a different way I had to watch it yeah incredibly right. directed like yeah, it was, like, oh, beautifully yeah. directed. directed and the yeah. choices that like sort of are born out of the like Ashman lyrics that then Clements and Musker sort of capitalize on within the animation are like really incredible when you like think about them. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, I, you know, it's it's like a movie so embedded in my consciousness that I like had never really like 
thought about that before. It's it's one of those movies we come across every once in a while in the show where it's hard to actually just reset your ba- brain and try to watch it like objectively, <laughs> you know, rather yeah. like di- divorced from your history with it, its cultural reputation, everything. Yeah. It, it's wrought both good and bad. Um, yeah, it's it's a very hard movie to just sort of like isolate and just watch as a film. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I've literally right. I've literally been watching it since I was born. Right. And that's the incredible. problem. Right. We're the incredible. exact age. Like we're the generation that grew up with this movie. Like this was yes. the, the one. It was the tip of the spear in terms of the, the Disney Renaissance. And this is the one I probably rewatched the most. Yeah. I was I trying mean, I'm trying to run it in my head. Uh, of this era, I think it probably was. It was these three. I don't know. I watched them all, all three all the time. This Aladdin, you know, the Ashman Menkins, this Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. I will say that like when I was I like I had a this is like sort of embarrassing, but we're all friends on blank check. Um we're all friends. Yes. Like I definitely in high school went through a phase where I reverted back into Disney. Like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends and I, like, instead of going to uh, the formal dance one year, like, went to Disneyland because we were in L.A. And, like, during that period when I sort of was, like, it was both, it was both, like, reverting back into Disney and getting really into, like, the idea of Ashman and Mencken and what they were doing. Like, Little Mermaid mm-hmm. was the one I watched so much and would just sort of, like, you know sing part of your world in the shower be very much like you know i'm connect- like i'm this rebellious like it connects to me too as like a rebellious teenage girl you know this, yeah. this bullshit but um it like that was the one i definitely just sort of came back to a lot yeah i mean uh little shop of horrors is my single favorite musical of all time and they're probably not a week has gone by in the last 10 years at least that i have not sung one of those songs to myself in my bathroom and especially (laughs) in quarantine it's been through the roof like i've just taken this time to be like i'm not gonna learn how to make a fucking sourdough loaf i'm gonna try to perfect my suddenly seymour my my shower suddenly seymour i guess ben just changed his his iconic gun to another tatted aerial. Right. It's- <laughs> this one I like. She's got flounder. She's got, she's got gauges a shell. in her. She's got gauges. Right. She in does her have ears gauges. Too. She's got gauges yeah. and she's yep. got tattoo sleeves, but the tattoos are all little mermaid tattoos. Like they're all Basically. iconography oh, from the movie. Yeah. She tattooed flounder on herself. Well, of course. They're besties. Yeah. Yeah. She you, you can't see it, but there's an aerial heart eric but it's an actual heart like it's intense it's very realistic oh, like a, oh, like a okay. gory right heart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's yeah. like a it's like a, a suicide girl's burning angel ariel right like that's what we're looking at here yeah God. yeah suicide girls plenty um, more where that came from anyway sorry no no i'm sorry <laughs> little um, shop of horrors we will yeah. cover on this podcast one day Right. I, I I'm I'm going to we're going to do Oz at some point. I don't Oz know if you're rules. aware of this, but this podcast is co-hosted by uh, Griffin Newman. I think we're going <laughs> to cover Frank Oz at some point. This is, and also it's 12 movies. They're mostly I feel like they're all interesting. It'd be great. Yeah. But this is the thing I wanted to say. Esther's like, this is a little embarrassing. I'm like, do you know who the co-host yeah, you, of this show is? No, I know. I know. I, I don't like know why Disney? I said that. 
Yeah. Also, I like. Like, you think that's embarrassing? I don't know. I feel like it's that weird thing for a teenage girl when you sort of like dive back into that, like, you know, you revert back a little. I think this happens to like a lot of teenage girls. Like, you you are so overwhelmed by the world that you revert back into like childhood Disney stuff. Like, it was also the era where like, Hot topic and places we're putting like cutesy Disney things on T-shirts. My my driver's license yeah, picture, sure. which is from when I was fifteen, because I haven't gotten a new driver's license picture. Um, I'm wearing like a Bambi shirt, but it looks like a band T-shirt, but it has Bambi on it. There, there's, there's such a fascinating thing to me how like I feel the Disney Renaissance coincides with this Gen X like pushback of like the Disney like the fucking gaping maw of this beast and they sand off all the rough edges is this shit actually like offensive and now Hot Topic is just Disney Hot Topic is like the alternative Disney store right like it's just edgier Disney merchandise for older kids that's all Hot Topic is now and Rick and Morty yeah Sure. And Rick and Morty, and sure, Harry sure. Potter and all that crap. Yeah, Harley Quinn. But it went from being like, oh, Nightmare Before Christmas has shit at Hot Topic because that's like the edgy Disney movie. To now it's just like Hot Topic just sells Emperor's New Groove shirts. It's, they just, they're just a brand partner. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. Like yeah. with but, very, yeah. But it's 75% Disney animation There's shit. a lot of Disney. I'm, I'm, yeah. There's a lot of Lilo and Stitch stuff on here. But this is the thing. The Little Mermaid for us, and it's different movies for different people, mm-hmm. depending on when they grew up. But like, right, you love it when you're a child. You're, you know, your parents are like, yeah, it's Disney. You, you know, yeah. we'll put that, mm-hmm. put you in front of the Disney. And then as you're a teenager or whatever, it's one of the first things that you reevaluate. And you're like, oh, right. there's artistry here. Like, right. Like, right. it's not just this is the thing I've loved since I was a kid. But you think mm-hmm. about it because it's so in your brain. So that's part of the whole experience. But it it also if it has that Frozen thing where it's just like, and this is a better movie than Frozen, but where it's just like the the fucking the emotional core, the wants, the needs of that character, as best summarized in that one song, is just so fucking potent that like any like two year old can see it. And understand it completely. There's just that weird magic where you're like, how is this so crystal clear to anyone of any age where you're like, I get it. I feel that. That's just like the Ashman idea, like just to get into it. Like, yeah. that's what that's like what he did. Like, there's that clip of him at some sort of like Disney lecture. It's that like so gets good. Pushed around yes. a lot where he talks about like. The idea of storytelling, it's like every so like every show has the the song where the girl sits down on the tree stoop, the tree stoop. Is that a word? Yeah. Stump. 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 That's it. It sounds like a tree stump and says it sounds like an artisanal stoop. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. She's got a tree stoop. And and says and like sings about what she wants. And it's, yeah. you know, it's everything he I think the example he uses is, um, you know, my fair lady. Um, all right. I want is a room somewhere. And and great song. I mean, part of your world also like to get it like the, uh, my other favorite trivia about part of the world is that like Jeffrey Katzenberg tried to cut it from the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so he wild. It, <laughs> which is like, which is his second best idea next to Quibi. Right. Um, yeah. Well, look, yeah, look, Jeff's a great collaborator, but uh, <laughs> it is crazy every time you read. And I do think it's partly that people love to relitigate shit 
to use a word we were discussing, you know, <laughs> years after the success. But every time you read about any one of these movies, Katzenberg is just this asshole. I know. <laughs> who wants to fuck everything up. Like, but, but also, it should be said, like, sometimes, you know, those those legends circulate and then you get back to Katzenberg or other people and they're like, that's kind of blown out of proportion. Right, it was mentioned exactly. offhand right. once. But the part of the their world thing, he's like, yeah, no, no, I nearly cut that from the movie. It was like a big <laughs> fight. I adamantly felt it should not be in the film. He like, just it's thought it wild. was boring? Yeah. Right, the, like, yeah kids weren't going to sit through yeah, He thought, it, he thought yeah. kids right. were going to like fall asleep. And I think like the other thing is a lot of the animators also, I think, sort of agreed with him because they were sort of so trained to be, you know, what what are kids going to start like? It's fidgeting? low on action. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it's it's uh, a quiet concept. I mean, it's the greatest Disney song. In er, it, it is arguably the yeah. greatest Disney song. Yeah, it's the best. It's the platonic ideal. Yeah. Also, Jeffrey wanted to turn the Little Mermaid into a Quibi. Yeah, he did. He wanted to turn into a he Quibi. Uh, it, okay. It's worth noting that like this movie is 1989. It is mm-hmm. the first fairy tale and the first princess movie that Disney Animation has done since 1959. Sleeping Beauty, Little Mermaid, there's nothing in between. Right, because Sleeping Beauty is the one that kind of scares them off of it, right? Right. Where they're like, we've done this too many times. It's not clicking with boys. We can't be defined by, right? Like where they they run away from it. Which also rules, by the way. I think Sleeping Beauty rules. The most incredible movie. Just uh, incredible. I find I I think it's visually beautiful. I find it kind of uh, uh, cold emotionally, but, it, it but could, yeah, I know it, it is a little cold, but it's so incredible. There's just nothing. Yes, like it. no. Right. From a design yeah. level, I I couldn't agree more. Um, but I think that was maybe part of the trepidation too of just like those movies. Uh, had less potential for comedy, were a little more arch, you know? Like, Sleeping Beauty was seen as sort of this, like, artsy, experimental version of the the model that they had already maybe wrung out uh, dry. Um, it, it's, I don't know. Like, I just feel now there's just the the sort of, like, the Disney princess thing. And it's very easy to mush that continuum together. But it's like, no, those movies exist from, like, the 30s to the late 50s right. and then don't exist yeah. at all in the 60s the 70s until right. the tail until the end 90s. of the 80s right. right it's really the 90s right, right. then there, this is the there's 90s. like four or five of them then they get scared off again about boys not liking the movies they they back off and then they've gone back to the princess well but it's like oh that scared off period was like eight years versus but 30 fr- frozen, years <laughs> right it's i mean things as we say the death spiral right things speed up but right, right frozen's the exact same thing where after not doing it for a while they're like what if we did like kind of a big broadway musical based on a fairy tale about a princess and they put it out and they're like i don't think this is gonna work and it right. like conquers the earth right you know like and they're like oh shit and don't and don't you remember like the frozen the first Frozen trailer was like just Olaf, I think. And like, right, right, because they yes. were like, no one wants this princess yep. shit. And you didn't know that there was singing in it. Like, no. it, it, you didn't realize Frozen was like. I don't think I even fully realized Frozen how much Frozen was a musical until I went to the screening and I sat down and I was like, oh, this is a musical. I love this. Like, yeah. I was so jazzed on that movie because I was just like, oh, like, you know, right. they're back. I went with my brother, Jamesy, and we were like with the the family for the holidays in the middle of Tennessee. And that was like my dad was going to drive me to see a movie because 
when I'm cooped up with my family somewhere outside of the city, they're like, we have to drop him off at the theater or else he's just going to be unbearable. <laughs> like, it's one of those things where they're just like, he's going to get so prickly if he doesn't see a movie at some point in the next three days. So James was like, what What are you seeing? And I was like, Frozen, it's the new Disney movie. And he was like, sure, I'll go see that with you. And I think right. we're literally the only two people in the theater opening day at like 11 a.m., you know, at like a, a multiplex in, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And when the song starts at the beginning of the movie, he turns to me, he's like, oh, this is like a real Disney movie? Yeah. Right. Like, the, 100%. Yeah. I feel like no one knew. Alien. It also, speaking of Little Mermaid, like it literally directly copies Little Mermaid with the opening yeah. song being the sort of like worker song. Like, right. You know. He, There's like, nothing fucking better than a worker song. It's so good. Yeah. <sighs> Fathoms Below. <sighs> it's so fucking good. But for Frozen aside, because right, Frozen is doing, but yeah. like, yes, The Little Mermaid, I think Clements and Musker, obviously Ashman and, and, and Menken are so crucial to it, but they are, for Clements and Musker are the ones who are advocating, right? They're like, we yeah. should, you know, we should, this was a, a 30s idea. Like Disney has always yeah. thought about doing this, this right. fairy tale and never cracked it. But why wouldn't we do, you know, like we should we should do this. They were going to do an omnibus Hans Christian Andersen movie at one point because. Right. Like right. A, a package film. Right. right. The first couple Disney films were so expensive that then there was that scale back period. And he started doing more kind of package movies like Fun and Francie Free and Make Mine Music. And they had this idea of like, oh, you could adapt a bunch of them. And that was abandoned. And then the idea of doing a whole Little Mermaid movie kind of persisted for a while. But then independently, you know, fucking 60 years later, uh, he, I forget if it's Musker or Clements. I just get the It's Clements. Clements finds the tale himself, I right. guess. And writes it up for, and presents it at the gong show right. that Katzenberg hosts that we talked about in the last it's, episode. It's the gong show era where they're so desperate to try to revive their animation department that they'll have these weekly gong shows. And it's like anyone can come in with any, you know, two minute pitch on what could make a good feature length animated film. So he comes in with the book and they gong him because of Splash. They do. They say like boo, splash just came out. We Get just did it. Why would we make another right. movie in the exact same model as the film we made that was just successful? What I don't know is why he then turned around and was like, you know what? Actually, write up a treatment. Like for I don't know what yeah. changed his mind exactly. I don't know. Maybe Clements just bugged him. Yeah. But uh he did at some point say, like, okay, sure. You know, like maybe that's a good idea. Right. And then separately um, with that is uh, uh, I think it's, I always get them confused as well, but it's the two guys, uh, uh, Shoemaker and the other guy, uh, whose name I forgot as well last episode, who are the two guys they bring in from theater to sort of oversee the animation department. Um, it's a Tom Shoemaker. Peter Schneider? Yes, I think that's who it is. Doesn't yeah. Tom Shoemaker still run Disney Theatrical? Yes, he now runs. Yes, the Disney yes. like stage, uh, the Disney Broadway. Yes, he's right. the right. It's, he's it's the Peter guy. Schneider. He's... Peter Schneider. Sorry, yes, Peter Shoemaker Sh and Schneider. Peter Schneider yes. is the other guy. Shoemaker, right? He's the guy who's, who's always at the Tonys. He's got funny glasses. Yes, he's, you know, yeah. But but um, Sh Schneider is the guy who's really running lead at this point. He's the one who aggressively pursues Mencken and Ashman. 
But not for Little Mermaid. No, no, just generally, like, these are the types of guys we should have working on our movies. Also, it's not even, it's not even really Mencken, that's the thing. Like, it is Ashman who, like, then is like, I will bring Mencken along, largely. Yeah, right. I, I'm pretty sure. Yes, Ashman, because Ashman wrote Little Shop of right. Horrors, and, and Ashman produces this movie, obviously. He but, also right, directed no. it. So, like, Ashman right, was right. the sort of creative, He's the, like, right. Yeah. He, he wrote this the book. Like, yeah. Yeah. And the lyrics, yeah. Yeah. This is, I'll, I'll tell my sort of personal, like, Please. anecdote now, if that's, like, because my, so my, like, connection to Howard Ashman is my, so my parents met working in New York theater. Um, they met at the Impossible Ragtime Theater, and then they went to work at the WPA, which was the theater that Howard Ashman started, basically, mm-hmm. with um, two other people, Stuart Wright. It's Stuart White and Kyle Rennick. And my mom was the literary executive. So she would like read scripts and and the casting director. And then my dad would direct plays there. Um, And so they knew Howard. My mom um, cast, my mom cast Little Shop of Horrors, um, the original production. Like, so- This is the coolest shit in the world. (laughs) So that was like, so it's always been part of I, one of the things I one of the last things I did in the before times was Kyle Rennick, who founded um, who founded the WPA with Howard just died prior to COVID. And my mom ordered organized this memorial service for him um, at a theater in New York. And um, Sarah Ashman, Sarah Gillespie, Howard's sister was one of the people that spoke. It was also I mean, it was an amazing thing. Alan Menken, like saying um to sort of close out the evening it was like this incredible sort of moral and it was just this weird little awesome beat like it was this weird awesome theater like I and I you know it's one of those things it's like I'm pretty obsessed with this like idea of the WPA um because it wasn't you know it was Little Shop but it was also you know so many other like Steel Magnolias like my like my mom also cast the original production of Steel Magnolias, which yeah, but that's um, not as cool. Come on, no, it's not as cool. But it's like <laughs> it's not as cool. But I like it's it's this I don't know. It's this part of like my family history that I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. So when I was watching this stuff for the first time, like yeah, like I knew who I, I you know I think I knew who was behind the songs and but basically the whole thing with Howard was that he he did his I believe his first show on Broadway Smile with Marvin Hamlish yeah um yes. and it completely flopped and then that's when Disney came a calling yeah and they right. they asked for him and then he brought Megan along. Right. And and Smile was sort of supposed to be like the step up from the off-Broadway weirdness into like the big leagues of Broadway. And when that flopped, I think there was that sort of desperation that uh, a lot of times has inspired uh, historic work that we cover on this podcast where someone's like, I don't know, that thing didn't work, so I guess I should try this. And then they try something and change yeah. the world. Yeah. Yes, this slight... Uh, strain. The other thing, right, his, is that he did lyrics on a song f- in Oliver and Company, which I guess is just them being like, come, like, you know, come play yeah. around. Yeah. And like, that's the little spark where they mention 
you know, we're working on this like Little Mermaid thing, like, and and like that's what he is immediately interested in. This was also I, I actually watched I I hadn't seen the Don Hahn documentary about Howard. I watched it's good. It's, I, it's, I, it's, I, really I mean, good. It's, it's, it's really good. It's really good. It's really good. I think it's terrific. But one of the things I didn't realize was he was working in um like he tried live action too before then. Like apparently he wrote like he like sat down with Tina Turner and wrote like an idea for like a Tina Turner musical that like right, Disney right. might have done. Um, but like he was really drawn to this idea to the idea of animation because it is a sort of like unlimited capacity, like movie musicals weren't working as well. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, live action movie musicals. So like with animation, you can do it. You can go back to the well. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, yes, right. it's it's such a perfect con, uh, confluence of different elements and different people all aligning at this yeah. one moment. And it, it is fascinating because, like, you know, Tangled, which I love, Frozen, Moana, like that new modern wave of the, the CGI, um, you know, Jennifer Lee era princess musical revival. Mm-hmm. Um those movies are clearly evolutions of this era, but these movies are so different from the original Disney princess movies, right? I mean, like Little Mermaid is so different from Sleeping Beauty and Snow White and Cinderella and that whole era. There's such a seismic shift there. There's no And, and, and And the key to that shift is Broadway, is the influx of, the people like Schneider and Shoemaker at bringing in people like Ashman and Mencken and letting right. Broadway sensibility and and to be, like, let's say it also like letting very gay sensibilities enter into these films. That's part of it for sure. That's true. But it's it's yeah. the Broadway sensibility. I think you're right. And just in terms of the um, confidence to let the songs drive this story entirely yes. versus those earlier Disney movies we're talking about where the songs are interludes, you know, right. they're nice things to keep the energy up and keep kids invested. And, you know, but like they don't, you know, like, I mean, like Peter Pan has like a couple good songs, like Pinocchio has a couple good songs, you know, but like, they're not as uh, crucial to the plot. Like sometimes it's just like, let's go over there. They feel closer to how classic Hollywood films will have multiple songs without being right. a musical. Like, When right. You Wish Upon a Star feels like Dean Martin singing My Rifle, My Pony, and Me in, uh, you know, Rio Bravo. It's like, oh, here's like a brief interlude where a character sings a really good song that's going to get nominated for an Oscar. Whereas these are like, it's it's the fundamentals of musical storytelling where it's like a character sings when the emotion is so great mere words wouldn't do. You know, you need the songs to advance the story. Yes. Um, yeah. And yet, this movie also does things where you're like, you know, it's crazy, right? Like, Ariel has one song. Eric obviously doesn't sing at all. There's multiple songs that are sung by anonymous cast members. You know, like... Yeah, I want to pull up we, your account here. You did this okay. the other night when you were watching the movie. But the stuff... <laughs> yeah. The stats are pretty incredible when you just sort of look at them as hard numbers. Right. Okay. The thread starts with Scuttle is a good wing man, uh, which, of course, is a great joke because uh, well, he has wings. He's a bird. But also, the, the, right, I was yeah. just, on this on this rewatch, I was just very, I was like, I'm more charmed by Scuttle than I remember being. Like, like same, I, maybe like when I was same. a kid, I, 
I thought he was annoying or something, but yeah. like now I'm just like, ah, oh, Scuttle's like a good dude. He's, He's like a bro. Also, Scuttle's like, well, like Bob, my boyfriend was like, Scuttle is just high all the time. Like Scuttle is on the good drugs. He's just, he's clearly, he's clearly having a good time. Yeah. Scuttle's, he's also, Scuttle's for the grownups without being Shrek for the grownups. Like it's not like any of his jokes are mature, but he's got an energy that is not particularly funny to kids. Uh, yeah. That's that's I think that's accurate. Right. I think that's the thing. When you're a kid, you're like, he's too loud. I don't know. But OK. All right. But they, no, these it, were the stats. On. I have it here. The stats you threw out. Yeah. Breakdown of who gets songs in The Little Mermaid, one of the greatest musicals in Disney history. Sebastian, two songs. Ariel, one song. Ursula, one song. A bunch of sailors, one song. <laughs> Ariel's sisters, one song. Homicidal chef, one song. End of list. I mean, the points were made. I mean, yeah. like, look, Sebastian getting two songs is justified. A good idea. Justified. He's yeah. great. And he's a musician. Like, I get it. But it is, I don't know, were there, are, were there cut songs? Like, it's not like Aladdin where there was a bunch on the cutting room floor, right? Like, No, I like, don't think so. And it no, feels like. No, I think, and I think when they did the musical, like, they, you know, Tim Rice or something. Yeah. Somebody came in and, like made more and I, i'm sure eric is gonna have six songs in the the fucking marshall movie um <laughs> i am the eric I, i'm john <laughs> oh truly, sorry it wasn't got... it wasn't tim rice it was glenn slater mm. it's just weird that there are multiple songs about ariel where ariel does not sing i guess that's yeah. what it is it's that there's a song introducing her yeah, but then she's not there, and then "Kiss the Girl" of course is Ariel's song in a way. Yeah, and is my favorite song ever, and is a song basically written by David Sims and a song I sing to my friends all the time in the form of social interaction. Right, but like, but of course she's silent, you know. Which right, I mean, part silent. of this is as you said, right? She she can't speak for the whole second half of the movie, but it is fascinating how much this movie isn't working on a formula because the formula hasn't been established yet. And this is now I'm remembering what I was trying to set up fucking 30 minutes ago talking about how much of an Eli Wallach I've become. But there's elements like that where it's just like, right, the fact that there's no like flounder song that there's no triton song right. that there's no eric song like none of that i'm saying is to the detriment of the movie, but you cannot imagine that flying in a boardroom today, no, especially the when the chef has a song. But also just the fact, this is what made me think of this. Like the little Harold guy, the fact that you don't even really know his name or that like Ariel's sisters are just kind of like window dressing. The idea that right. Ariel's sisters wouldn't be a clear advertisement for a expansion of the doll line, that they're just kind of there. But I'm like, I was so surprised by the fact that they don't each have like a gimmick and each have like 10 lines of dialogue. Well, they each have a different hat. That's it. But that's it. That's the point. They like have, they're mostly right. they have... a, a visual chorus, right? And you're like, today they would be like, look, we have to make sure that each one has their own sort of like Captain Planet style power so that girls can pick which Ariel sister is the one that represents them the best. Uh, right. And like, it's... <laughs> Apparently the sequels get into this, but we can't, you know, what I can't take those too seriously because they are half 
just money making opportunities yeah. for the Disney company. But like you always wonder, it's like, why is Triton so worked up about Ariel yeah. specifically when he's got literally o- older, like his actual throne will right surely pass to one of these older kids, right? right. Ariel's literally the youngest. Yeah. You'd think you'd like give her a break. She's like, I want to have a, you know, underwater museum of human shit. He's like, yeah, sure. You're the sixth daughter. Fine. You know, that can be your thing if you want that to be your thing. Because Little Mermaid 2 is Ariel and Eric's daughter, and Little Mermaid 3 is a prequel about the sisters and Ariel, Maybe that's right? what it is. I, I just, think- I, someone told me on Twitter that apparently one of them uh, kind of uh, clarifies that um, Ariel's mom is sort of like a carbon copy of Ariel. So that, that that's that why sense. Triton is super invested. Okay. Which there, that's yeah. fine, whatever. But it doesn't count. But there, there, there yeah. was that weird thing with the direct-to-video sequels where it feels like the second one they'd be like, "Fuck it, I'm, I'm tempting fate. I'm gonna make the movie that takes place after heavily, happily ever after." And the movie would right. almost always be they have a kid, and the kid's exactly like how they were at the beginning of the first movie. And then the third movie, they go like, "Fuck, well, we did that. We can't just do it a third time." prequel and then the third one goes to before the first movie and i'm dreading this fucking rob marshall movie but whatever i mean i would be <sighs> so excited if anyone other than rob marshall were making it like to a certain degree the prospect of adapting this one into live action is more exciting than the others well, no, I, but i don't know it's just like i don't think see my problem with that is that like it didn't work on stage. Like when they tried yeah. to bring it to Broadway, like I'm not right. sure the little mermaid works if you like extend it and like, they will inevitably like extend it. Like you have, you sort of, despite they're not going to make just with this one, they're especially cause of all these sort of weird holes and like it goes, they're not going to just make like an 80 minute movie. They're going to try to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, they'll more. do what they always do. And they I just tack on 45 minutes. Yeah. And it just like, this one, I feel like more than, you know, Beauty and the Beast worked on stage. Like, obviously that movie is garbage, but the the yeah. the remake is garbage. But like, it worked on stage. You're, you're the one who wrote that piece, Esther, right? When uh, whichever one came out, how weird it is that Disney doesn't take more inspiration from their stage shows when they're remaking this movies. Am I misremembering that, that you wrote a piece about that? I don't think I wrote I, something specifically that I think I wrote like, I mean, I definitely wrote a lot about that. Like in terms of when I was reviewing Lion King, how like yeah. it doesn't make sense that they are not taking from like in that case, especially right. since the Lion King was so innovative um, and felt so different, like, and then to do a carbon copy. Um, but I don't, I, somebody else might've written like a more specific. I feel like that. it, when they make these decisions, so in Beauty and the Beast, right, they did it as well, obviously, mm-hmm. where they don't use the musical songs. They instead write great songs about, you know, for example, how he's the beast. Right. Um, which which was a plot hole in the original film. It's very know. hard to follow. He never actually said it. <laughs> <laughs> also, how a lot, a Jasmine will never be speechless, of course. She will. Uh, right. Never be speechless, okay? How she won't? A- how angry do you think they are that they burned that concept on Aladdin and not Little Mermaid as they're trying to come up with the fucking shitty filler songs for Little Mermaid? And they're like, okay, what's the like the thing we have to make woke now? 
Oh, she's speechless. Um, oh, fuck, we can't. Fuck. I just, uh, it is, and we will, you know what, most likely one day do Guy Ritchie. That's I a live action one. Hey, come on, the gentleman, the gentle uh, pods. <laughs> oh, God. The Gentleman, um, which is the eighth highest grossing film of 2020, right? Right, exactly. It's right behind Sonic the Hedgehog. But um, I, I, I uh, did want to make one yeah. point about the the Little Mermaid live action. Please, movie. please, David, please. Your number, yes. your number one guy is starring in it. Um, wait, 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 wait. My number. You mean wait? Who do you mean? I, I, I here's who I. I'm gonna try and go through who's in the Little David, Mermaid live what, action. David, okay. what what performer is saving theatrical movie going with his bare hands? Oh. Yeah. Trims. Oh yeah, that's right. He's flounder, right? He's uh yeah. he's flounder. I mean Good that's casting. a that's a slam dunk piece of casting to have Trems play. He's your number one guy. The yeah. number I one. love Trems. And I just also look because Flounder just has big responsible energy. You yes. know, like Flounder's the guy yeah. who's like Ariel, I gotta get out of here. Like, and that is kind of Tremblay's energy. Good boys was a dry run for Flounder. Here's my frustration. I think they should have done it like the fish in the tank and Monty Python and the meaning of life. I think it should be Tremblay with yellow face paint and there's a prosthetic <laughs> fish around his head and he's wearing a green jumpsuit and they just, they erase his body. It's just his head wait, floating around. So, all right, wait, here's, here, I'm going to try and from memory. All right, so I know, I, I forget the name of The Little Mermaid, but she's, is she an unknown actress or she? They're, I, I, tw I, I, they're no, twins? They're twin pop stars? Yeah, and they're not, yeah. they're not twins, okay. actually. They're not, okay. but they're sisters? Chloe and Hallie are not twins. They are sisters. Okay. And it's Hallie. Hallie is Little Mermaid. It must okay. suck to be the other one. Right. You don't get right to be now. anything. I can't stop uh, feeling bad for, for Chloe. Okay. But yeah. So I know Javier Bardem is playing King Triton. Right, which I think is a bad casting choice. I do think is really weird. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. sort of intrigued to see it. I've, I I'm intrigued to see many of Javier Bardem performance actually, but I don't know. I don't but, know. But I think um, that's the one area with these movies where usually on paper the casting choices are really good and are better than the fan casting shit that people come up with. Mm. And this is the first one where I'm just like, every fan cast idea I heard for Tripe was better than Bardem, who I think just has the wrong energy. Isn't he just going to be like his Pirates of the Caribbean character? Yes, yes. he's just going to have the fucking Drake Sprite head. Jack Sparrow. I've never seen Jack Sparrow. Dead no one's yeah, seen Dead Tell No Tales. I, Literally, no I one's seen it. it. Doesn't ex no, you didn't. That's a psyop. You think you saw it? No one saw it. It's never <laughs> been screened. Oh boy, um, that is uh, anyway. Okay, okay, all right. I know Melissa McCarthy is playing Ursula, which has uh, certainly yeah. Another. Well, go ahead. I think terrible idea. I think. I think. You like, think it's a bad yeah, idea? I think she's a bad. Yeah. I think she's a bad choice. Yeah. Why do you think she's bad? I, I'm not challenging you. I, I am sort of neutral on the whole thing. I think she had, like, I love Melissa McCarthy. I love her so much. I'm rooting for her. I wish she would make better choices Hard with her career. Um, but agree with I feel like she has a goofy energy and mm -hmm. not the sort not of... Not malevolent, right. Not the malevolent, like... Mm -hmm. Bitch queen of the sea energy mm -hmm. that I want mm -hmm. for Ursula. Yeah, I also think part of Melissa McCarthy's appeal is a sort of very calibrated sloppiness, right? 
that mm-hmm. yeah. which Ursula like spy, it, right? Yeah, right. No, but yeah. I'm saying I'm not saying I'm. I don't mean this in any way. No, no, but you're saying that part of her comedic Ursula, sensibility is right. her riffing sort of thing, and how good she is at physical comedy and all this shit is making things feel kind of organic. Whereas Ursula is very like theatrical, performative, yeah. performative. And I also think Melissa McCarthy's fastball is anger, but it's often misplaced anger. It's not mm-hmm. menace. Which Ursula has to be genuinely menacing. Well, the only thing I'm going to say in defense, there's two things. One, as you guys are saying, I kind of just want her to do anything that's not Ben Falcone comedies that are going straight to gas stations. I agree. So, right, that are called like the lady. And you're like, what's it about? It's like, well, what if a lady was in a town? I'm like, is there anything else? They're like, they bought it before we even said anything more. So that's what it's about. I'm just realizing now, is Falcone going to- wearing a wig. Is Falcone going to play like fucking flop, Sam? Is is he- Here's the thing. He can play flotsam and jetsam. He's a perfectly enjoyable uh, screen presence. I know, as long as he's not creatively involved. I agree with you, David, but I think the second you allow him on to set, it's sort of vampire rules. You you can't let him onto the soundstage. Because I've heard stories about some of the movies that he ostensibly didn't direct that got kind of foul. Oh, that he like, okay, all right. Yeah. Well, so, right, so that's it. But two, the thing about Melissa McCarthy and Esther, you and I had a whole debate about this recently. She And not, not that you disagreed with me, but we were just talking about how uh, weird her career is. Like, She's just so talented. And yeah. like, she's, she's surprised so me in the past. She's so talented, yeah. There's like multiple Melissa McCarthy projects that I walked into pretty like, okay. And like, so maybe I'd maybe she can shock me. I don't know, but maybe not. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I also think the movie will stink because I think Rob Marshall's yeah. a bad director. He's a bad director. The thing with Melissa McCarthy, right. and obviously we can move on to this, but like a while, a while ago when I was working at the AV Club, they did one of those like AV Club Q&As and one of the questions was like, who is an actor that you will like see in whatever? Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, I said Melissa McCarthy because I'd seen all of them. Like I'd seen yeah. Tammy, I'd seen The Boss. Like I kept going in with these high hopes. Ditto. And now I've finally fallen off where it's like, I'm not going to fucking watch Super Intelligence. But, I like, watched it like a sadist because I'm like rooting for her so hard. How is and it? I, it's bad. It fucking sucks. Like it's so shitty. But it but it also is like she's so innately talented. I don't think there is a single performer alive, let alone a movie star of that stature where the gulf is that wide between the be- their best work and their worst work with nothing in between. Like it, it's right. uh, it's right. so cut and dry and it's unfortunately it's now become like her only good comedies are directed by Paul Feig. And mm-hmm. otherwise, pretty mm-hmm. much, you can only expect her to be good sometimes when she's working outside of her home genre. Right? right? Exactly. Right. But, yeah, but then there's shit like The Kitchen right. where you're like, that right. should have been a layup. The Kitchen is, right, that's I don't, I don't blame that on that her. That is so, so insane. Right. That movie is insane. Movie. She's yeah. fine in it, I guess. I That movie just felt like... I don't know. That movie's that, crazy. It felt like a, right, like I was going to walk out and people were going to be like, you didn't see a movie in there. Like, I just felt like something that didn't happen. <laughs> I just wanted to say, Aquafina yeah. is playing Scuttle. It's slime dog. Yes. I think that's great. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that, when I, because I, I had to check, I'd forgotten. And when I looked that yeah. up, I was like, oh, that's nice. That's like that's good awesome. galaxy brain <laughs> shit. That's like, oh, you're not going to get someone to do a, a Buddy Hackett impression. 
What's like right. a That'd parallel energy? That's the thing. Who right. is 2020's Buddy Hackett? Right. Maybe Aquafina. Yeah. yeah. I think Kinda. it's smart. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote down like stupid notes when I was watching the movie yesterday. And one of them was like, because again, Bob was like, all the other pigeons are, I mean, not, not pigeons, all other uh, seagulls like seagulls. look normal and Scuttle looks fucked up. And I was like, Scuttle's like, you know, one of those New York pigeons that you like see and it has like one leg and it's like all sort of like looks weird. And like, it's sort of like Scuttle's like a New Yorker that's been transported to the sea off the coast of France, I guess. Um, I mean, we can't we can't try and plumb the geography of this fucking movie. I don't what time no, is it set no, in? No, none of that. Where are we? Who knows? I don't know. I, I determined this time that it's off the coast of France because. He, there's a map, I think. No, and then no, no. I don't know. I left. I can't get into this. Yes, there's it, a French yeah, chef, yeah, but the, Eric yeah. is American. Like, like yeah. we just can't think about it. It's so culturally unspecific. I will say I have a simpler answer for that one question for Bob, which is Scuttle's the only one who's Jewish. That's that's Scuttle's <laughs> deal. He is Jewish, right? Yeah, right. He's, Jewish. Right. he's canonically Jewish. I I um, will I will take no questions at this time. And then and right and then David digs is Sebastian. That yes. seems like a good call. Yeah. And then yeah. who is um Prince Eric? I guess it doesn't. It's really like matter. an unknown guy. They offered anybody. it to Harry yeah. Styles and he turned it yeah, down. Yeah, they yeah, they tried to get Harry Styles and he was like, no. Here's okay, here's the thing I want to say. Let's get into the 1989 movie, obviously, yeah. but like yeah. here's the thing I want to say about Prince Eric. Because I feel like he gets a bad rap because he's boring and doesn't really contribute much. Also, he of... he falls madly in love with someone who he cannot have a conversation with. Like, it's yeah. kind of a bad sign. Right, right. But he's a chiller. All sure. he wants to do is sit on the boat, play his flute, play yeah, with his dog. He loves his fucking flute. He yeah. loves his flute. You know... He's got some nice casual wear. He doesn't stand on ceremony when they're having this fancy dinner and his <laughs> his aide de camp is like, oh, 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 right? The best shot of Eric is I think it's the night after Kiss the Girl or maybe it's the night before Kiss the Girl where it just cuts to like him in the dark, like with a flowing cape, like playing his flute just in the, into the yeah, night. Yeah, he loves to play the flute. Yeah. And Ariel Great washes dog, up Dad. on shore. She's like, She's like, yeah, he's good dog dad. He, he's like, Ariel's like, I can't talk. He's not like bothering her about that. Where he's like, why can't you talk? What's the, he's just like, oh yeah, whatever, man. Like, that's cool. You want to roll with me and I'll play my flute. And you know, he just, he's a, he's a friendly fella. And you know, who, you know, you know who the voice actor is, right? Uh, I don't, but you know, I do know, I'm going to look it up now, but I do know someone who was like the runner up for that role. Do you want to know who? Uh, who? Jim Carrey. I, yes. I did see that. What? Um, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Like young Jim Carrey. And like and Michael Richards almost played Scuttle. That's wild too. Oh God. He would have been good. Yeah. He would have been good. Um, I know, but like wait, thank so, God for history's sake. That, like, oh, yes. Yes. Oh, like, I mean, it all yeah. worked out. Yeah. Um, wait, who voiced uh, Eric? I'm forgetting the guy's IRL. name, but he okay, uh, name, was also Christopher 90s. Daniel Barnes. Yes. He was 90s cartoon Spider Man. Oh, he was sure. like the main Spider-Man of the '90s, uh, right? No, I watched that show absolutely. And the, the uh, the animated series, and he's Greg Brady in the Brady Bunch movies. Oh, okay. he looks well, like Prince Eric cool. in real life. Yeah, that's cool. I respect it. Yeah, he's just the ultimate, like, perfect kind of uh, cartoon leading man voice actor. Like, he's just got right. the cleanest, like, like a guy. "Hello, I'm a man. I'm a person." <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Because, like, the Beast is such an insane, problematic, romantic lead, right? Yes. Like, yeah. and just a bananas. Whereas Eric, it's like, yeah, he's boring, but yeah. you know, he's fine. He's I nice also enough. Feel like to like to get into the like the things that people you know take complain issue about with, with this yes. movie in 2020. You could literally all attribute it to. All of the decisions that she makes, it's like people are like, oh, she gives up her legs for a man. What about it? It's like she's 16 and horny as hell. She's so stupid. I feel like when you're watching it, like in like as an adult, you're like, yeah, I would do the same thing because I was dumb and I want to, you know, and I was She wants to go somewhere. Her only friend is a fucking dumb cuck fish. She hangs at her... (laughs) Her teacher is a seagull who's, yeah. let's be honest, like, you know, not half there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not if you're playing asking with a full questions deck. about this movie, you are a freak. Like <laughs> the freaks I'm seeing when I search fan art. Yeah. David messaged me earlier this morning that hit like saying that Flounder is a cuck. Which is, I think, one of his main I should probably chill out calling everything a cuck. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> Ursula is a sorceress. She's She knows yeah. what she's doing. She knows how to talk David, you into she's yeah. a sea witch. Life array. Yeah. She's a sea witch, yes. She does sea witchery. A wild thing to think about. Go ahead. That, that Sofia Coppola came this close to doing a live-action Little Mermaid for Universal. Would love to see it. And the Would reason she quit it. is because Universal wouldn't let her cast Maya Thurman Hawk. Is that true? That's true. Why she would have she would have been great. Yeah, she discovered her, and they were like, "We're not going to hire an unknown." Wait, where'd she? An unknown whose last names are Thurman and Hawk. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, what the fuck are you talking about? She would have added another like lobster, and they would have been Bella and Sebastian. (laughs) (laughs) Ben's leaning in for that one. Incredible. Ben's happy. Sorry, uh, had to. He doesn't miss, folks. Uh, yeah, I mean, Maya Hawk is great. Um, yeah. I actually think she's very talented. It is one of those things where you're like, you know what? These famous people have kids, and guess what? They're really attractive, and they know what they're doing in front of a camera. Like, but but also, who like, knew two hotties had this kid who's so, like a Sophia movie star. Coppola? I guess game recognized game knows good nepotism when she sees it. Called <laughs> it. Like, but do you think that's what it was though? They were like, Sophia, come on. She called it. This was like four years ago, and they were like, we really want Chloe Grace Moretz, and she quit. And the movie never got made. They wanted Chloe Grace. That would stink. Yeah. Oh man. And I don't even hate Chloe Grace Moretz anymore. I, she's star given, of like, Tom and Jerry. Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, yes. God. Is she in Tom and Jerry? Yeah. She's she playing. Of Tom David. And Jerry. Is she in Tom? Have you not seen the Tom and Jerry trailer? I have not. David, I just decided that there the were Tom- other things David, I wanted to do. You have to watch the Tom and Jerry trailer. David, do, do you I, know? Do I? It's you massive. Do. You do. Do you know that Tom and Jerry are hand-drawn? That Tom and Jerry cool. takes place in some weird Roger Rabbit-style universe? It's unclear oh. if it's like, oh, they're cartoons, or if in this universe all animals look like tattoos, but they're a bunch of pigeons singing Juice by Lizzo, and there's a cartoon elephant. Colin Jost rides the rides the rides the cartoon elephant. Colin Jost is in this thing. The central conflict of the Tom and Jerry movie, directed by Tim Story. Sure, is that Chloe Grace Moretz is a new hire at New York's fanciest hotel, 
working for Michael Pena and uh, a fucking uh, uh, catastrophe. Rob Delaney. Rob Delaney. And they're like, we have a mouse problem. Should we hire exterminators? And she's like, why hire exterminators when we can hire a cat? And she hires Jerry. And they're trying to clean the place out before Colin Jost has what is referred to in the trailer as the wedding of the century. Wow. This all sounds Anybody great. could uh, just make those decisions. That's so dumb. Chaos ensues. <laughs> Uh, right, but Ca- they actually, right, that one was actually just them throwing dice every single time they had to make a decision. They were like, all right, if we roll, oh, we, we're going to roll a d20 yeah. here, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, just um, a wall, and they threw darts at it, literally. The, I mean, the it must be. of the century. I'm just dying to hear who Colin Jost's character is supposed to be in this universe. Do you know who Colin Jost is married to in Princess real life? Princess Diana, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Princess Colin Jost is Princess Diana. Like that's the it's what it can, it can only be that. And he's canon Colin Jost. They're like the the star of We Can Update is marrying Princess Diana, who's alive in this universe. I'm just that's I'm just like. so excited because every time I watch We Can Update, I go, why isn't this guy in movies? I really want to see him in movies. <laughs> that feels like where he belongs. Uh. The Little Mermaid, oh, yeah. uh, which is a 1989 film written and directed by Ron Clements and John Musker. And I do want to point that out because that's unusual for Disney at the time. Mm-hmm. It's just credited to them as writers as well as as directors. Although, I mean, by all accounts, yeah, there's the, Ashman yeah. deserves a lot of credit. I mean, he really yeah. ha- helped Ashman develop and shape the story. is yeah. the producer, which yes. obviously, yes, is a huge acknowledgement of his uh creative involvement right. but ashman came in they had a script and he kind of went through with a machete and went like too many right. characters make this bigger make this smaller he was make the one who sebastian sort of, jamaican right make sebastian jamaican make ursula divine right like right. i mean yeah. he had so many of the essential character hooks he brought with um him. and it, it should be said this movie is 80 minutes long Wild. um it it like crams a whole plot in there despite having lots of strange digressions. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I mean the most, obviously the, I want song, the, you know, part of your world is such an impressive thing, but like, I think Ashman in the Howard documentary, they talk about how poor, um, not poor, you know, about how the Ursula convincing her to give up her voice. Poor unfortunate like, souls. Yeah, yeah, it is poor unfortunate. Yeah. It's all, it's all bundled in there. Like that, the, like that there's so much that happens in those four minutes that they get yeah. through without it seeming yeah. he insane. He talks about, he talks about like how in poor unfortunate souls, she literally introduces herself and right. convinces they her meet. to give up. <laughs> like yeah. they meet. She explains She's like, what's she your is. deal? Okay. Yeah. She explains her whole plot. She explains what you're going to do. And it's like, I'm taking your voice by the end of the song. Like she literally, Poor Unfortunate Souls is such a good song. It's it an incredible song. It rules so hard. I'm a very busy it's, woman and I haven't got all day. She's so good. It's, it's, it, yeah. I mean, that's like the argument for, for musicals as a storytelling form. Right. It's not just the, right. you know, this sort of like, uh, emotionally ecstatic truth that you can reach, but also just like, the fucking economy of this thing that that yeah. shit goes down smoother in a song you know you can right. you get a lot of shoe leather out of the way that's the thing because if it was dialogue 
Ariel would be like, oh, can I say bye to my dad? Like, I need to pack some things. And it's like, no, no, no. You're, right. you're going to the Earth the Earth now. And it's also just <laughs> the buy-in. Like, as an audience member, you, you accept th- these sort of narrative leaps more easily because you've already bought into the idea that people sing th- their thoughts. You know, it's just like, right. I think it's one of the reasons why the whole Ratatouille musical thing on TikTok has been so potent is because like you step back and you're like, Ratatouille does feel like the premise of a musical. It's almost more bizarre that they landed on that premise, not in a musical. Because the idea that there are long dialogue scenes where he's like, if you pull this lock, this arm moves up is wild. That only seems like that could be explained through a song. I do feel like the Ashman thing with this, too, is like one of the things that really annoys me that people always say when they're talking about part of your world is that like it's, you know, it sounds exactly the same as Somewhere That's Green. And like it does sound very similar to Somewhere That's Green from Little Shop. But it's also just a typical I want song. But I do feel like it is the thing that is so interesting about like what he was able to do is like he did this with Little Shop where and he talks a lot about this in the documentary where it's like this is I'm taking the horror form like I'm plugging musical theater into this like B horror movie format in Little Shop and then he sort of reverses that and I think you see so much like it Little Mermaid does feel like the sort of of the three Disney musicals like the one that's most like analogous to little shop in that like it has the like poor unfortunate soul sort of does the same thing as feed me you know like it 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 offers the same thing you know somewhere that's green does the same thing as part of your world blah 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 but it's just really interesting because it's this bite this these two sort of in little shop he's putting musical into horror movie in you know, in Little Mermaid, he's putting mu- musical into princess Disney's animation. Like, basically everything is forming each other. It, I'm, like, blabbering on, but it feels like no, no, but everything like, is informing it's ch- each other. Yes. And they're all, you know, and he's sort of so, he's using these baseline formulas to, like, reinvent genres just time and time again. Absolutely. It makes it easy to digest. Right. On paper, Little Shop is an inherently sarcastic exercise, right? It's the idea of like, mm-hmm. is anything less on paper obvious to turn into a musical? But but it's both like something of a challenge to himself of like, look, I can turn anything into a musical and apply it. And also he really found the kernel of the story there that works well in the sort of musical format. Whereas little mermaid is on paper, much more of a musical, but, but the secret thing he unlocked in little shop is to play it incredibly straight to have a real sincerity to the emotions. So it's not like he has to like by removing the satirical edge, the songs in little mermaid feel defanged. The funniest thing he does in little shop is play the songs incredibly straight. Even though he's making fun of like the idea of the I wants on with somewhere that's green because right. you know he taught you know because she's singing about like wanting like watching Howdy Doody, but it also genuinely works as an I want song. Like you don't yeah. take it as a, a, a goof, and it's also it's the Ellen Green thing of just like you get the right person singing the song like it means everything in the world, and you're gonna choke up. You know, it doesn't matter if a couple of the lines are jokes. The thing is, 
all and this is true of all three of his uh Disney movies, you know, right, there's so much humor in the lyrics, yeah. even when it's serious. Uh and part of your world has all these, you know, uh who's a what about yeah. yeah, exactly. Um and you and also but right, yeah, I mean in in you can just Google it. Um, but him directing Jody Benson singing that song. Yeah. It's so Incredible. cool to watch. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like, because it's, and it's collaborative. I mean, he obviously was this very intense dude and had such fixed, you know, specific ideas of like how, you know, like he's just one of those arty types who knows, he knows what he wants. Like, and he, it's more just how to figure out how to get it out of whoever he's collaborating. But like, she's mm-hmm. so locked in with him. It's so, it's so fun to watch them figure it out together. Well, she was also the star of smile she was right. like yes. like he she he's she sort of like she said like i feel like he offered me you know the chance to audition for ariel because he felt bad about smile flopping so hard and i think the two of them felt kind of unified in the idea of like this might be the big break there there's a yeah. certain like foxhole solidarity that comes when people fail together on that scale you know yeah um, Absolutely. Jody Benson, of course, voice of Barbie in the Toy Story. I was going to say, I mean, I just think Jody Benson never really gets enough credit. And, and rewatching great. this movie today, it's such a fucking good performance, especially considering so that she good. doesn't talk for the second half of the movie. Like the work yeah. she does in the first 45 minutes has to be strong enough to carry you through the remaining 45 minutes less. But it absolutely true. It's also just a total. I mean, Glenn Keane is her animator, right? Is the main yeah. animator and says yes. that she looks like his wife. Yeah. Um. And I mean, it's she. Ariel is like the most incredible piece of character animation. Like the way her hair moves around. The hair alone. The hair is the yeah. whole the hair, fucking thing. The when whole physicality girl, the of hair her. is just yeah. so important. Yeah. Right. So so but so. It, important. Just like all her sort yeah. of flouncing, you know, her hand on chin, like all there's just so much teenagedom that yeah. I feel like when you're a kid, you just totally get it from her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Glenn yeah. Keane's one of the best character He's, animators right. in history. There have been few people that good at animation performance, and I, I think he's one of those guys where like. Uh, Rapunzel was his passion project for years and years right. and That's years. That's the one he wanted to make, right? Tangled, right, right. And and to yeah. some degree, I think Disney kept fucking him over and not letting him direct because they didn't want to lose him as a lead animator because he was just so valuable on a on a yes. character focus level that it's like why you know why make our 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 best pitcher. The team manager does that track, David? Does that it does? No, that absolutely okay. make that's absolutely <laughs> that that was a very good analogy. Hey, actually. hey. Um, <laughs> but that's right because he's kind of your ace, exactly. Sure. One of the things uh, I was thinking about, like just in terms of watching, when I mentioned like watching it from this new perspective, thinking about the direction, is the way that Musker and Clemens sort of like take not just like a straight lyric to visual sort of transfer, but they take the spirit of Ashman's lyrics, like the way that we were talking about, like throwing, even in a perfectly serious song, throwing in the jokes Mm -hmm. and interpret that like visually. Like I feel like, um, you know, part of your world is full of that in a way that I had sort of forgotten. Like, you know, you have Sebastian sort of watching part of, 
your world the whole time and mm-hmm. like he, mm-hmm. the, his question coming up. Right. That's when he switches sides, basically. Like that's yeah. him understanding her plight much more deeply. Oh, the best character in the movie. Yeah. But also he's like he's knocking he's knocking over things. He's like there are these oh, visual yeah. jokes within it. You know, I just feel like it's it's so it's really interesting you know, it's such a collaborative art and it's so interesting looking at all the ways that Wait know, a what? second. Did you know Wait that Sebastian second. is his last name? What? No. I just Googled or like I clicked on here is his name? full name. Here is his full name. And of course, as you guys mentioned, he's and he's not in the Hans, of course, Hans Christian Anderson story, which you should read and is bananas and has nothing to do with the little mermaid, the movie, really. And she turns into sea foam at the end and yada, yada, yada. But his, his um, name is Lynn Manuel Sebastian. <laughs> But as as you alluded to, he was originally going to be an English butler lobster. It totally makes sense that that's like that's seems, that's call, just so call, obvious. Keep calling him a lobster. He's a crab. Yeah. I, no, he was going to be a lobster. Oh, and he was okay. going okay, to be okay, called okay, okay. Clarence. Not Sebastian. <laughs> and and I imagine he would have been like Zazu, right? He would have been the like, oh, yeah. don't do that, right? Like a yeah, lot of, you know. It sounds like a fucking herb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so um, Howard Ashman is like, no, he should be a crab. He should be like a Jamaican. And, I, you know, I want to write the music to that. But apparently his full name is Horatio Thelonious Ignatius Crustaceous Sebastian. That fucking rules. That is the <laughs> best name of all time. <laughs> Holy uh, shit. And, of course, he's voiced by Samuel E. Wright, uh, yeah. who is so wonderful in it, this I, movie. I mean, and, um, the design orig- of I believe Sebastian originated Mufasa on Broadway. He did. He was Mufasa yeah, for years. He originated Mufasa yes. on Broadway. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing I was going to say, too. Trying to identify what is, like, the specific sort of skill set that Musker Clements bring to these movies against the other films of the Disney Renaissance. I feel like there's a sort of... um, How do I even put this? There is a sort of holistic tone that is able to cover all of the different modes that the movie has to play in right between genuine menace and romance and comedy and swooning emotions and the music and the dialogue scenes and all of that and i feel like a lot of the non-musker clements films as enjoyable as they may be there is that sort of like cognitive dissonance between like oh mushu is really goofy and then there are scenes right. in M- no, Mulan that are good point. Yes. really straight. Yeah. You know, right. I feel like yeah, I Pocahontas, mean, I, which I like more than a lot of people, has that problem too. Yeah. Where like some of it is like really kind of like arty and adult, and then yeah. some of it is so goofball McGillicuddy. Hunchback, like, Hunchback is similar. same thing. Yeah, I, I, perfect I, example. I like and Hunchback that, is yes. are, in a way my favorite of the era, but then you just have to ignore all the shit. With the gargoyles, which sticks out like a sore thumb. And I feel like the Musker Clemens films are balanced. Like, they just, they know they have the right sort of comedic energy to be able to contain all of this while still giving it appropriate weight. I agree with you completely. I think this is the, this is why as much as I like Hunchback and I, and I like, um, 
uh, fuck, we mentioned another one that I really like because Pocahontas, uh, Mulan, Mulan, Pocahontas. I have trouble with. No, um, but but Hunchback, I love. I think Tarzan has this problem too. Tarzan like, hugely has that right, problem. The shit I guess with, the, really just, with the tiger and the shit with Rosie O'Donnell it feels, are two entirely different It feels different crammed movies. in. It yes. feels like Disney checking boxes. Like, well, yes. and the, come on, the kids need a funny sidekick. They need a... Right. And Musker and Clements, and part of the thing that... It, I don't know what it is about them that, like, they nail this, I think, with this and with Aladdin, but, like, it's it's that every character just feel... I, I don't... They just sell you on Sebastian the Crab being the number two guy who's gonna kind of work with Triton and with Ariel. doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Like, whatever. A lot, they, a, a lot of it's personality and a lot of it's good comedic instincts, right? I mean, like, comedy yeah. is one of the the fastest ways to successfully uh, uh, sort of ca- define character. And I think they get that. But it, but it also, like, this... You see this movie coming up with a template that starts to doom... Disney to diminishing returns after this. Not, right. not. I'm not saying everything from not here right on out away. is bad, but it, but it's like the TV dinner thing of like, okay, you need four animal sidekicks. Two of them talk, two of them are silent. The the yeah. romantic interest is like this. The villains like this. The villain has three henchmen. Like you have this many comedy scenes, this much physical comedy, this much romance. Like it, this movie is such a successfully rounded balance of everything. The other thing is like obviously the factor that's not in it and not to take away from Musk and Clements like contributions, but like mm-hmm. obviously the other factor is that like also Ashman is not involved in the like the rest like outside of He's not absolutely no, he's not. He's not. Like and and outside of but you sort of see you almost sort of see him and maybe it's a Mencken thing too. It's hard to sort of interpret it what like what's there, but like you see almost the lessons that maybe Musk and Clones absorbing the lessons that like and the tone that Howard is bringing I think so. all of the songs in these later works, you yeah. know. I mean, yeah. it's so funny because like Hercules is obviously not and Ash, it, like Ashman had died before it was it's, made, it, but you right. know, but the like the you know the um, uh, the muses are basically the same convention. Yeah, as, <laughs> as little Ashman shot, would you know? have crushed that movie. I mean, Ashman yeah. is the missing yeah. element in Hercules, which is a really interesting movie. At that, but that's yeah. what it's lacking. You sort of wonder if because Little Mermaid was so was the first one, it was the first one where all these elements came together. Yeah, that maybe like Musker and Clemens, like farther down the line, absorbed more of sort of just this process that worked so well. I, I agree. And I think we'll we'll spend a whole episode on Hercules, but my my instinct, you know, from the last couple of times I've rewatched it is like I think the songs in Hercules rule. I I think it doesn't have They're fun. the story instincts that Ashman would have brought to how those songs correspond to the movie at large. And I think yeah. like I, I think Ashman taught Mustard and Clements and Disney Animation at large a lot about storytelling and that I think started to get watered down and become a little more rote and mechanized uh, his lessons after his death. But I also yes. think you have to give Musker and Clements a lot of credit for execution because of how much they had to successfully sell this through the performance of the animation, a medium that he did yeah. not know at all. Like, even though you see right. the clips of how much he was working with the voiceover actors and the orchestra and how much he was working with the writers and everything, at the end of the day, Musker and Clements didn't just have to make this work visually, but they had to make it work 
on a visual performance level, which they really, really do. I, I just, just my final point, uh, uh, Musker and Clements, Moana, I think, is the biggest testament to this because Moana excises things that it doesn't need. Yeah. Like, it doesn't yeah. have a lot of the stuff that we're talking about in ways that feel like, well, we have to do this, so we're going to do it. You know, like, yes, of course, she's got a little chicken with her, and we stand the chicken. The chicken's great, and we're going to talk about the chicken. But they just don't feel the need to, like, yeah. have the chicken talk and have a song. You know, like, it just feels they like they They also get rid of that pig. They leave that pig on the island. I know. They it's do. And the pig's cute. Choice. Yeah. Pig's it's so cute. funny, too, because, like, when they leave the pig on the island, I remember thinking, like, I can't believe they're sacrificing merchandise sales like that by leaving the pig right. on the island. And then I speak to, like, kids, like my friends who have young kids, and they love the fucking pig. And I'm like, right. shows me. Like, it the the kid, minutes, pig, right. and the, the kids right. buy the pig for the rest of their life. Yeah. <laughs> pig rules. Um, come on. Yeah. Pig rules. Kids rules. Poo, no, we'll, we'll poo talk about up. the pig. So, Little Mermaid. Ariel is a princess. She lives in an underwater kingdom oh, apparently Jesus. called Atlantica. What the fuck? Atlantica. D- David, just because I'm a little confused about something, uh, what what size is she? She's low. Oh, okay. <laughs> she's a little mermaid. <laughs> it's a fair point. Sorry, she's I not just little. I, she's regular size. No, she's kind of a little mermaid compared to Triton. Triton. Uh, Triton is an absolute unit. Look at the size yeah. of that lad. He is yeah. huge. Yeah. His fucking Trident is bigger than Ariel. Like Triton's nipples are very large. The yeah. nipple thing has resonated with me, I think, from birth. I, I think I always was like, there's something wild about this guy's big old nips. Like, you know, <laughs> that just sort of makes him more dad-like, I guess, in a weird way. I don't know if I have more for you wait, on that. I'm sorry, wait, when wait. you when you watch this movie, do you get a tear in your eye? Do you go, it reminds huh? me of Daddy's nips. Is that what you're saying? It's not. It's not that. It's like. It's just like there's something. There's everything about him is big. I guess. I guess is what I'm talking sure. about. Mm. Um, right. Nips, hair, <laughs> crown, trident, and. Bad attitude. I mean, you know, the, the the guy's got a bit of a short fuse. Yeah. Um, but he does love his daughter. His daughter only loves the human world. Yeah. She wants to go there. She wants to it's a it's the simplest story. She just wants to escape. She wants to grow up and you know, roam beyond pastures, home okay, pastures. Right. It's the same thing. It's that potency, it's the let it go thing of just like yeah. Any kid of any age uh, capable of cognizant thought, right, uh, can, uh, can, can track onto that feeling of just like, I'm over it. I'm so frustrated with this and what my parents tell me I have to do. And Ariel's the same thing where it's just like dreaming about what life will be like if you get to do things on your own terms. Right. She's also, though, kind of like into like vintage and she's she like, is. like this she is all stuff is. I didn't realize until watching it recently. She's yeah. kind of like exploring like abandoned old yeah, factories, like found art boats. kind of thing. Yeah. Do you right? know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 like, right. yes, I yes. really related. She like pieced out on this recital to go like go to an abandoned <laughs> sunken boat. I'm like, hell yeah. You're She's cool like, as hell. Right. And tangle with a shark that is no joke. That shark wants to murder her, even though she's yeah, like the he's princess chomping. of the sea. 
She she's essentially yeah. like she's got like her her like Pinterest curation of like objects, yeah. right? Yes, yes. Like her mood board of like yeah. Perfect teenager. Again, yeah. we can all relate, right? Like that's and okay. Sebastian, of course, as conductor of Triton's orchestra, is keeping tabs on her. Yeah. And you know, I'll I'll say and and Triton wants her to get with a guy, but unlike in Aladdin, where they're like throwing suitors at Jasmine or whatever, like mm-hmm. It's not like Triton's bringing anyone around. I, it, he's making no effort to actually like give. I guess he's trying to present her to society in the first right. scene. Is that sort of the idea? Yeah, maybe she's, she's they're introducing her. Right. In her like it's that this yeah. will be she's, like her her big intro to adulthood. Like it's her cotillion. Yeah. But I feel okay. like he's not really that concerned with like marrying her off. He just like wants her to chill out. But when she's. When she's in love, he's like, oh, who's she in love with? And I'm like, who do you think? Like, there's no men around here. Yeah. Like, what do you think? She fell in love with a rock? Like, yeah, Harold? <laughs> yeah, Harold, that guy? <laughs> <laughs> with the rough? Um, Sebastian is the movie's most... Tra- well, okay, you know what? Actually, no, we should mention that the movie starts on a boat and there's a lot of you know action with the the sailors the guys as well like it, it introduces you to eric first and then to triton and his kids yeah. and then to ariel like it's not even um trying to you know ariel's sort of this elusive figure for the first 10 minutes of the movie uh yeah yeah i mean it's it, it's once again it's weirdly something that gets replicated like uh uh, Pocahontas has like the Virginia uh, uh, trading company, company. Right. right, right. We're saying Frozen has that sort of opening, but like you do the kind of world immersion number with a bunch of anonymous grunts just to place you in the setting, uh, right. right? And then you do a lot of wind up of the palace, the the world, the rules. Um, I mean, this was the last sort of analog. Um, yeah. 2D movie. Hand after drawn, totally after right. this, it goes to caps. It goes to um, you know computer scans and it paints and colors. Um, this is the last movie done in the traditional styles. But then with all these really complex effects added in, like the amount of bubble work in this movie. Right. Is Wait. Fuck. I, there was some stat about that. It's uh, Mark Dindle, the who of course eventually. The bubbles are so insane. I, I kept yeah. thinking, I kept noticing the bubbles on this watch. Just yeah. how much. How hard that must have been. and Right, because the bubbles are, anytime they speak or move, there are bubbles. Mark Dindle, who goes on to make The Emperor's New Groove, was in charge of the effects, and he said they drew one million bubbles. Yeah. That must have been very boring. fucking insane. Right, but, like, this is the last one that's still using, like, a multi-plane camera and a Xerox machine and all these sort of, like, old techniques. Um, You have some CGI elements, like the ship is CGI, you know, anytime mm-hmm. you see the big ships, I mean, sort of structures like that. Um, but there, there is a, a tactility to this, which also just like the shit, like the hair and the bubbles just blows your fucking mind. There is something to the fact that you'd never get out of your head. Like someone had to draw this. Like there's no simulation for this, you know? Yeah. It, it, it And it's beautiful. I yeah. mean... It does look cheaper than Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast. Uh, totally. Maybe it's yeah. just because they're switching to caps after this, right? But yeah. like in a way that is 
charming. Like, it's not like it yeah. looks bad. And those yeah. are also just generally more expensive and expansive right. productions. Like, it just, it feels, it feels smaller than that. Like, it, yeah. the movie right. is weirdly small. It has like five locations in total, and five of those locations are very loose locations. And like, the fifth lead is literally the fucking seagull, maybe sixth right, lead, right? Depending right. on where you put Flounder. <laughs> right. It is. It is a very contained movie in a lot of ways. Um, it is, and it's eighty minutes long, but has you know a sequence where Rene Arbogenois plays a chef who tries to ch- cook fish, which is a great sequence, obviously, that is yeah. the best, that's straight out of Looney Tunes, but, like, cuttable, uh, in theory. Like, you know, it has these beautiful, quite, like, the moment where she watches the fireworks off the boat, mm-hmm. and Mencken's score, which is, like, his greatest score ever, is going, is so cool and so atmospheric. Mm, I think Beauty and the Beast is his greatest score. It, that's well. That is, yeah. No, that is. I think well, Beauty and the Beast anyway. is his greatest score. But sorry. Yeah. No, I, that's not a controversial opinion. That's totally. The other score that I think is also his maybe most like could be one of his greatest scores is Hunchback. I think Hunchback is an incredible score. Um, you know, I should rewatch Hunchback. It's been a while. Hunchback's really good. Uh, it's great. It's, I remember. I loved it. Yeah. It is just one of those things where it's like, I I understand music so little mm. that I wish I had the language, but also just the ability to comprehend why the is immediately mm-hmm. so powerful, yeah. you know? And I don't just think it's a nostalgia thing. There's something about just yeah. like, it's some weird, that combination of notes at that speed just immediately is so evocative. And it and it's evocative like of the exact thing. It it sounds like underwater, right. and it also sounds like longing. It sounds yes. like that sort longing of childlike, right. optimistic longing. And for it to contain both of those things at the same time, I I don't understand how you land on something that simple and that elegant and that potent. Um, and she does like you know throw her life away essentially because she swims up to a boat and looks at Eric, and Eric's playing the flute like a you know like a boss, and she loves it. Yeah. And yes, obviously, if you interrogate this from a logical plot, like then, yes, you'll get yourself in trouble. It's yes, there are lots of things about these Disney movies that are fraught, but it's that elemental longing. It's, you know, she wants this thing that is so different. But it's also like, it doesn't matter what guy it's, I mean, like, obviously, it's complicated with like the ending, but it sort of doesn't matter what guy it is. It's just like, he is everything that. She does not have, he has legs, he's on land. That's like literally all she wants. He's hot and, you know, she's hot. a teenager. Like, I think that's the thing yes. that, like, I realized watching it as an adult that was, like, so special. She's like, she's, she is supposed to be 16. Right. She says her age. Yeah. Yeah. And 16-year-olds do shit like this. Like, it's, it's fucked up that she gets married at the end of it. But, like, you know, but that's, yeah. that's the Disney movie. And Eric's uh, the right. same way, too, where it's just like, you know, it's funny that Eric is the one who gets more of the sort of setup of like they've aggressively been trying to marry him off. He's been meeting potential brides who he doesn't like. Okay. Right. Important question. What is Grimsby's relationship to Eric? Every single 
time I watch this movie, I think Rene Aubergenois is Grimsby because I'm just like, no. obviously that's yeah. what you cast him as. And then you get to the chef and I'm like, right, these yes. lunatics. <laughs> uh, no. So Eric is, as far as I can tell, a prince. It's just that he doesn't want any princely trappings, right? So yeah. he serves on the boat with the old sea dogs and he, you know, keeps it real with his sheep dog, his, his big furry dog. So Grimsby is the guy who's like, well, of course I'm here to keep an eye on you, right? Like he's, he's the like Sebastian. The he's the parents right. send out the one guy to just yes. be like, just keep tabs. In case he like, falls back. in love with a mermaid and or right. a really hot lady who just kind of has sea witch energy. Just watch out for one of those. Maybe she's got a also, shell I've necklace always, that glows. I've always thought that Ursula in human form, like in human form, was supremely hot. She's like hotter she's than She's so hot. Oh I was God. texting with Caroline. She seems Frampy. mean and I'm like, uh-huh. Sure. Friend of the show. Yeah, it's like interesting. I'll listen to your <laughs> you show. You tell me, me whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever, man. Fr- Framke, <laughs> Framke was like, yeah, there's an early crush for me in that movie. Can you guess? And I was like, is it Ursula as a woman or Vanessa? And she was like, bingo. Because, you know, obviously Ariel... <laughs> It is a famous whatever early crush i suppose sure. for kids but vanessa's she's she's out there you know, keep an eye out yeah i i honestly had the the exact opposite thought of she just seems too mean like i had i, right. I, I just distinctly like, i i was like i had the thought i went i guess she's pretty but she just seems so mean i mean she is mean she's ursula and ursula's mean yeah. um yeah and Ursula, you know, unlike Scar or Jafar, where I guess it, they're all similar figures, right? They're outcast geniuses who are like, uh, you know, uh, all I want is to be in charge, but I'm like, I'm the weirdo. I'm the scary one. I'm right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm over here. Mm-hmm. But Ursula is phenomenal. Like, and, and not, like everything. God, this movie is so good. It's tough to talk about. Um just, just the the way David's every like character is animated. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of freaking it. You know, like, and Aladdin does this. Too, that everyone's a different shape. Everyone moves in a different way, right? Yeah. yeah. Like this feels very like the way Ursula moves is so wonderful. The the transformation when she, Vanessa turns back into Ursula and she kind of like explodes out of her is so cool. Ursula I, is so cool. She's so cool. I love that first introduction. I had sort of forgotten about that first introduction. When she like slinks out of the hole. Right. When she slinks out of the hole, but also then it's like that sort of, it's that brief scene where you meet her. It's prior to Poor Unfortunate Souls. And then it ends with like the, her tentacles sort of taking over the screen and you just are left with like her eyes. And it's right. What Wasn't, so Ursula was written or maybe not written to be. I was obviously based on Divine. Disney wasn't yes. going to hire Divine. Disney really wanted B. Arthur, especially yes. because they produced Golden Girls and they thought that was synergistic. B. Arthur turned it down. And then yeah. Elaine Stritch was hired, right? She was cast and did not vibe with Ashman. Sorry, before Ashman wanted it to be Joan Collins. Right. He, he, he That was another one. He wanted... Joan Collins or whatever he he she was a huge 
he would cite um, Alexis Carrington, her character from Dynasty, as like, this right. is the vibe I want. This is the vibe I want. But yes, they did hire Elaine Stritch, and they did not get along, He, her and Ashman. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I was going to say, I wonder what happened, but then I just thought to myself, well, I've seen the, the fucking... It's the, the company documentary. Uh, exactly, yeah. it's the, the company, company documentary. documentary. They right. just don't yeah. seem like they So you work. just, like, animation is just recording a soundtrack only. Yeah. Right, exactly. exactly. Elaine Stritch, whatever, right. That's not her energy. I, so Pat Carroll, I mean, she, I feel like she's just, like, a Broadway person, right? She did yeah. like a yeah. Wonder Woman show on Gertrude Stein, right? like, you know, like that kind of stuff. What was the thing I saw her in recently? She was also, um, I believe, Shirley's mom on Laverne and Shirley. Yes, oh, that's right. Yes. She was. And you know what is? I, I've been watching the Mary Tyler Moore show and she has a fucking unbelievable episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show where I was just like, sure. who the fuck is this? The whole episode is sort of based around this this one-off character she plays and then realized, oh, that's Ursula. Right. Um, but her voice is so goddamn deep in Incredible. this. Incredible. It's so cool. She's still alive, you know. She's 93 yeah. years old. Yeah, it's wild. Um, Mazel. Her, it, Mazel. It's one of those things where, like, you hear, you know, Divine had obviously died by the time this movie came out. I, although, you know, it was obviously in production before that. But, like, you hear some of the people they thought about. Like, Nancy Marchand and Roseanne, right? You know, uh, Nancy Nancy Wilson Marchand? As yeah. in, like... And, like, in, you're like, that's like, cool. Tony Soprano's mother? <laughs> right. But, but, but at the same time, you're like, but no one else could have done... Like, this is a perfect voice yeah. performance. Like, it's yeah. ridiculous to imagine even Elaine Stritch or whatever. I also saw this, it was playing weirdly like one Saturday afternoon at a bunch of AMC theaters like a year ago. And I went to see it impulsively because I hadn't seen it since I was a small child. So I'd seen this movie in a captive audience, you know, on a big screen, full attention, fairly recently before rewatching it today. And even still, the first syllable out of her mouth, I was just like, whoa, like (laughs) totally taken aback, surprised caught off guard you know i think that's maybe the hard thing the thing about ursula that makes it like hard to imagine you know just going back to the melissa mccarthy conversation it really is hard to imagine someone doing ursula as well as this voice performance it would have to be such like a radical choice that there's something so specific it feels so universal like it does yeah. feel like it, it's taking all these influences like you know alexis carrington you know to find like it's taking all these influences but at the same time it's so unique and it's sort of any imitation of it feels false it's almost like i wish they just cast like Harvey Firestein in it or something, so it'd be just like sure. completely different. Or its I own mean, thing, a, a, a lot of people were arguing they should have cast a man, which I think there's a really solid argument there, especially since it, it visually the character is modeled after Divine, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but but I also think like, did either of you see the Lizzo video? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, did, like it became so yeah. Yeah, it became such a meme sort of thing that I was just like, okay, but are we actually like going to cast her? And then I watched it and it was just like, no, you know what? She actually would do this well. She was just like, Disney, why won't you take my meeting? I want to play Ursula. And then they wouldn't (laughs) respond. So she just posted a video where she painted herself up like Ursula and sang 10 seconds of it and nailed it. 
And she was like, no right. one's reached out to me. And then they just announced, you know, like, oh, the, the Melissa McCarthy's in advanced talks. Right. Like, I think they already yeah. were deep on that road. But yeah, I, that's yeah. too bad because, right, I mean, that does, I don't know. Look, yeah, again, we'll see the movie. And honestly, and again, I have such hope. No, I have no hope for that movie anyway. I know. But there's five seconds. I just watched the little thing for five seconds. I'm like, oh, that's a good vibe. I don't know. That seems cool. It's just, it feels like Ursula has to be her, like, in order to do it well, if it's not this, you know, Pat Carroll and what she's doing, yeah. it has to be its own thing. <laughs> it, it's the one calculation I think they made correctly with the Guy Ritchie Aladdin was just like, Will Smith is the right choice on that level of just like, yes. you got to find someone yeah. who has their own thing, but has an entirely different thing because you're never going to have. Uh, you know, someone try to replicate Robin Williams and have it not be upsetting. And Melissa McCarthy just feels like the wrong thing. Um, the other, the other thing, I guess, I guess like Captain Hook is the first Disney villain who pops. I'm really looking through hmm. the history of Disney because, like in the early ones, the, the villains don't matter that much. Yeah, sure, the Wicked right. Queen and Snow White or whatever. But like, they like so crucial to the Renaissance movies is that you kind of are rooting for the villain. Like every time right. they're scheming, right? Yeah. Like Jafar, Scar. Like you know, these are. I mean, even Gaston. Like they're fun. Yeah, they have good songs. They have a lot of humor. And like, it's not like right. that's completely unheard of in the old. Like, obviously, Maleficent is a very compelling. I was going to say, villain. Hook and funny. Maleficent are the first two who are kind of alluring. Right. I think the one, the first one who may be, I mean, the problem, Cruella is so downright villainous, oh, but she's yeah. also oh, yeah. super compelling. Yeah. Right. And super cool. Like, so there's yeah. her as well. And that's all post Princess. That's all in the, yes. you know, yeah. early, the 60s. early 60s. Yeah. Um, but I do think. Uh, Radigan, who we discussed last week, and and Ursula, it, that's that's the new model. Like, yeah, this is going to be almost a secondary protagonist. And that thing of like, they got to have a song. They got to be yes. funny and scary. Yes. And I think "Poor Unfortunate Souls" is the best villain song. I think I prefer it to Gaston. So good. Hmm. No, uh, no Jafar, of course, know. never. Gaston's great. I mean, it's not like I don't like... I have antlers and all of my decorating is... No, I mean... Jafar doesn't get a song. It's just like... So incredible. Um, but, uh, it's, it's some yeah. good shit. Yeah. Very good shit. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I mean, we, we've kind of like, we've been tackling this from a bunch we of have, different angles. The things yeah. we haven't talked about are Under the Sea and Kiss the Girl, for sure. Yeah. But apart yeah. from that, right, like, are there other... Right, well, they're they're in the ocean. That came up, I think. That they're, right. right, they are under the oh, sea. Oh, they're under the... Under the, the sea. Dussie. They're not above yeah. the sea. Yeah. Dussie. That number is... Dussie. That number is just so... <laughs> fucking wild. Like, you, under you the sea? really... Yeah. But also the lyrics. The lyrics are so great. The lyrics are so insane. And also just the, like the visual, what they're doing with all the fish and. Yeah. It, you know. The rapid cutting, like, which is sort of weird for Disney where it, it, it like speeds up as it goes along. And you have this semi Busby Berkeley energy, which I know yeah. they right. sort of perfect on like with Be Our Guest, but like it, it you know, you have. 
There's so many different fish. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Like, Be Our Guest really kind of heightens this because they have a much bigger budget. There are a lot of technical breakthroughs. You're able to do sort of larger choreography. And this right. number, they have to sort of establish through a lot of editing because they just don't have the the power, the infrastructure, the time, the resources to do like a big group shot of 80 fish all dancing perfectly choreographed with each other. So it's all these weird little vignettes. You know, it's all these weird yes. little like close two shots of a couple of fish. These lyrics that are specifically referencing just the two or three fish you're seeing on screen at that moment. The rhythm is all established through editing more than dancing. Um, but it's just such a fucking jam. And it's also so wild that it's like, here's like, the, you know, Howard Ashton's coming and he's like, look, this is the the cornerstones of, of emotional storytelling through song, the I want song, this and that. And also just a song where a, a fucking uh, crab tells you crab. how cool shit is under the sea. What is he's your not favorite wrong. lyric? What is your favorite lyric in Under the Sea? Because mine is, Nobody beat us, fry us, and eat us in fricassee. In fricassee. That's my favorite right, Which lyric. is very funny. Um, I'm I pulling mean, it up right here so I don't get the words wrong. David, what's your favorite? I mean, there's so many uh, good options, such as the trout rocking out. Like, I, li- I like the when he starts going, like, the way he can play, the lings on the strings. Like, when he starts going through <laughs> different fish species, the chub play, yeah. the tub, the you know, all that, the fluke is the duke of soul. Um... But I don't think there's anything better than Hot Crustacean Band. Like, I don't think oh, yeah. it can be underrated that uh, that Ashman was like, that's going to be a button. Like, I'm going to figure Hot Crustacean Band is going to work in a song for five-year-olds. Like, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll sing that. The one that made me giggle out loud is even the sturgeon and the ray they get the urge and start to play i think so much of it is the animation <laughs> yeah, performance do. there because you see the two fish kind of looking at each other all ornery, they're going, they're and then they the like urge. they break down they're like come on what if we just jammed right now yeah we in luck here down in the muck here not not to keep referencing bob but he kept last night he was like can you credit sebastian with for the ska revival um oh. thanks to <laughs> There's an argument. Which is you know, a good point. Real Big Fish yeah. might yeah. line up like age-wise with this movie. Real Big Fish, real small crap. <laughs> um, I, Sebastian's my favorite character in this movie. I find his design so incredible. Especially because like... little feet. What, but even just his face. It's just like the proportions. He's like all brow... Uh, everything yes, about right. him. But the, my single favorite moment in the entire movie is that like moment he has to himself where he's like, I'm wasting the best years of my life. <laughs> like I should be writing symphonies. Like this whole idea, it adds so much weird emotional weight to Under the Sea, this song that otherwise feels a little frivolous because it's like, this guy is stuck in this fucking shitty administrative job, like looking after his boss's daughter. He wants to be fucking orchestrating a hot crustacean this is, band. This is the whole thing. His role, he, it makes no sense that this guy 
initially he's the scold who tells Ariel to stop worrying about the human world. Then yeah. he's the fun band leader who's like, life's great under the sea. And you're like, this guy's right. Life is great under the sea. And then later he's like, dude, I get it. You just got to make out. Like, and, and then he's like raising his eyebrows and singing a song about kissing. And you're like, yeah, I get this energy from Sebastian. It makes sense. It follows. Like he, he works it all. And then he has a whole sequence escaping the Le Poisson guy. And as Esther pointed out to me, essentially murders him. And yeah, you're into that too. Sebastian ends the movie with murder. Yeah. I mean, like, or at least maiming. He like, he, right. he, he injures him. He, he, all of his teeth fall out. And then Sebastian yeah. just like hops off the boat and is like, fuck you. I'm out. But, but like, I, like I had teachers in high school who were like, you know, like pulled me aside after class and they were like, dude, look, between you and I, I think you're funny, but come on, man. I can't support this shit. You know? <laughs> like, first of all, you don't do any homework. And second of all, we're in a class. Like, objectively, I think you're funny, but enough of this, you know? And I feel like Sebastian's that kind of thing where he's just like, look, it's my job, okay? I can't, I cannot co-sign this. And eventually he just gets broken down. Right. That's, I like that, I mean, as we know, she gives up her voice. She's got to kiss him. These are the rules. They got to kiss yeah. within three days. You'd think she could just fucking kiss him, but I guess yeah. do they have to like it has jointly to be true kiss? Love. Has to be right, true. it has right, to be exactly. true love. Um, but I, then I do love that. Right then, in the third act, there's literally a scene where Sebastian's like, "Did they make out yet?" <laughs> like, like they're they're all just talking about it. Yeah, and it's not happening. So he's like, "Guess I better like put on the best fuck." performance in my life you have a kiss symphony but that's what i'm saying there's like this great sebastian narrative where like there is she helps him realize that like i can't be wasting any more of my best years like stuck in this fucking perfunctory gig it's like you're saying, like, right, there's that cool moment before Kiss the Girls where he's, he's like, because uh, uh, well, Scuttle's squawking, because yeah. you know, Scuttle's, he's making yeah. an effort. And he he like dives down and he like breaks a reed to make a conductor stick yeah. and then goes back up and he gets the ducks and the, and the turtles. turtles. The he's turtles. right, you know, he's like, all right, the come on, come on, let's, 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 yeah. let's, let's make an effort here. But that's what I'm talking about. That fucking, yes, no, I that agree. one line about the symphonies makes the world of difference because suddenly you're just like, this isn't Great just, writing. oh, Sebastian's songs are good because he's in a musical. It's like, no, Sebastian's thing is, this is his life. This is his passion. You, and you know what about Kiss the Girls? And now, and Kiss the Girls, Jesus, that's the <laughs> Morgan Freeman movie. Kiss the Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's like percussion, strings, right? He's like uh, introing everything, yeah. right? And then he goes woods and he's not talking to anyone and he's talking about himself and he's got this face where he looks so serious and you're like yeah he's fine like he's connected with what you're talking about again his passion is back yeah the spark is awoken right this this movie could be called how sebastian got his groove back (laughs) it should be and i am glad that you said it i wish he was in more movies like i watched con air today as well and i'm like why did Dave Chappelle stopped being in movies. Why didn't Sebastian play Tom Hanks' best friend in some movie? (laughs) Oh, God. And, you know, as Kiss the Girl, like, this is a sexy movie. Not in a gross way. Well, probably for some... I mean, Ben was just browsing DeviantArt. But, like, (laughs) like, you know, the, the reprisive part of your world where she 
you know, sings the final line and the wave crashes behind her and it's oh, just yeah. like uh, orgasmic thing. Like yeah. the movie is, you know, it's like playing with passion yeah. in ways that Disney movies are, you know, Disney movies are usually very chaste. Also, I straight up just it's like boring. shed a, a single tear on that moment. I feel yeah. like oh, it's, that moment is it, so good. It, it's hitting real hard in lockdown, the whole aerial, like I, I want to be out there. I want to be living. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, I'm aerial. I, big mood. I feel you. <laughs> Oh, I also boy. I love uh like I love a reprise so much like I love yes. the sort of oh. swelling and this one is just the best I I mean I also love the like the Beauty and the Beast um yeah. reprise of Belle but like this one's the best like I don't know when I don't know how but I know something's starting right now Ugh. yeah it's I, that's what I, ugh, fuck that's what I should have done for the opening I should have done that one other rather than the passage I, I did I don't know when Ma- I don't know how but I but know Moana is starting right now. Yeah, uh, well, I'd still do part of their cast. I just think that's the better intro. Um, uh, Moana does that really well too. The the yeah. way yes, they build, the reprise. Yeah, right, yeah, reprise, right, yeah. right. Because like you burn the big emotional song early on, and you're like, "That's it," and it's like, "No, no, no, hold on." They'll they'll bring it back. Absolutely. Um, so it is just kind of wild that the, then the remaining forty minutes of this movie are Ariel's a mute, and it's a lot of shit with Sebastian <laughs> trying not to get eaten, and the dog, and like and fucking, trying to get him to kiss. Yeah, Sebastian's either trying to get him to kiss or not get eaten. Yeah. Ursula is causing trouble as a human. There's a whole sequence at dinner where Ariel combs her hair with a fork and blows smoke into Lord Stuffington's face. They do this sort of perfunctory, like, she's spunky girl when he takes her on the tour of the town and she, like, dives under the carriage and she takes control and they jump over the big thing and the... Right. Yeah. Right. Yes, you know, right. She's got spunk. So he's, like, you. it sort of makes it makes up for him being, like, attracted to a mute girl. That That's the stuff that's very splash adjacent where I don't understand why they wouldn't want to replicate a movie that was very successful for them. But I also realized they were trying to make splash two, which I guess ultimately went straight to TV. But I think Mm. splash is so much the literal fish out of water comedy that that's the stuff for me. None of it's bad, but it's, it's, it, it's a little less exciting. All the sort of like Ariel doesn't understand how to be a human shit. Now, when when things don't work out, when the sun sets before they make out, mm-hmm. um, and then you're, there's this great nightmare. scene where, right, where Triton, yeah, seriously, where Triton is like, come on, enough of this, and she uses the contract as a shield, which I always think is really cool, where she's like, this is literally unbreakable, mm-hmm. and Triton gives it up, and she becomes the queen, and she's big. Mm-hmm. Go but, ahead, Esther. Yeah. Oh, I just, we haven't talked about her souls yet. I like her souls. Oh, her little are souls. such an interesting design. Mm. And the fact that she just like keeps these like sort of like plant humans um, with big eyes and they're sort of. Yeah, they're, they're like they're little beardy shrimp. Drawn, like, yeah. yeah, it's really, it's, it's, they're weird as hell and I really love them. Um, But is she scary when she's big? Yeah. When I was a kid, yeah. very scared of this. Yeah, very still scary. scary, right? Yeah, I think yeah. still. Ben's got his, his background right now. It's, it's, it's just genuinely scary. I mean, that's another. And she's like, her voice is crazy, yeah. right? She's like, you fools. Like, she's suddenly like really feeling herself. Yeah. I, she sort of reminds me of like the Beetlejuice big thing where it's like the 
circ, you know, the crown yes. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, when when uh, Beetlejuice does the the carnival barker like fit. rise, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, she and, also it's basically she goes Super Saiyan, like that's what happens. She goes Super Saiyan, right? She, sure. And this is the thing: often in these Disney movies, there's really kind of a last act with the villain. It's two minutes. She gets the trident. She's yeah. like, rule number one: I'm five hundred feet tall. <laughs> rule number two: all you motherfuckers are gonna die. And so they just kill her with the boat, like right away. Like it's really quick. It, it's one of those. <laughs> things that I think sometimes like I see the broken after effects of like certain shitty screenwriting books where people think like oh you need to hit all these story beats and every one of these story beats needs to be of equal screen right, you time need to give him time right yeah, yeah, yeah right and it's like you can hit the thing like Luke Skywalker's refusal of the call is 90 seconds you know right like Ariel going uh, Ursula going Super Saiyan is two minutes like you should hit these beats but it doesn't have to be a whole fucking to do and it it shouldn't be it's like yeah we all agree Ursula being this big and making this much trouble not a good long-term strategy we don't want this yeah. let's ram a boat into her <laughs> Like, right? There's just nothing more to be said. Yeah. And I do also like that she is motivated to go insane because she Flotsam and Jetsam die. Right. And she says, my poopies or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's her exact line. I think she says my poopies or whatever. Um, I I love the Triton moment when Sebastian goes back to her, and I forget I'm gonna fucking misquote it, but where he when says, he does kind like, of a Simon Cowell thing. Yeah, I guess the bad news <laughs> is how much I'm gonna miss her or whatever. Right. Yeah, but it's a sweet moment. It's also so weird that it's Kenneth Mars, it who's is like weird, a fucking Mel Brooks company player and is such a goofball. Absolutely, it's it's super weird. Huh. Uh, he's also. Um, Professor Screw Eyes, and we're back at Dinosaur Stories. Right, so. right. But uh, Ke- Kenneth Mars is Franz Liebkin and the producers, and he's the guy with right. the arm in uh, Young Frankenstein. Um, I did. I never realized that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very odd casting. He's also. Um, if you remember in um, Malcolm in the Middle, where there was the German guy who owned the Dude Ranch, that's him. Right. <laughs> that was like one of those weird subplots of Malcolm in the Middle. Um. Anyway, he's good though, and like you see, yeah, no, it's weird. Again, the movie's moving so fast at this point. We got like four minutes to go, and yeah. but it, it it all. I guess it's just all in the characters and how they're animated. Like Ariel's reaction to that feels very genuine, right? Like it's all nice. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, I don't know. The movie gets in, and get out. It gets out, and it gets its business done, and it fucking rips. <laughs> <laughs> can't can't argue. Yeah. Oh boy. It's good shit. Yeah, and it just uh it becomes the first Disney movie to get an Academy Award nomination of any stripe since Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Oh, okay. okay. That's right, crazy. right, right. Yes. No, not ever, but in decades. But, but in decades. decades. Right. The brand decades. was so dead. Yeah. And it wins two Oscars for score and for under the sea. And Kiss the Girl is also nominated. Weirdly, part of your world is not. Yeah. Um. And, and now I don't, I even want to. It's not like there were other good songs nominated. I think it was just that. Uh, I I I mean, sometimes the rules would change as to how many 
songs a certain movie could have and it would go up or down in any given year. Because like Lion King was nominated for at least three songs, yeah, right? Yeah, Dream Girls yeah. got three. But, but I feel like they're constantly fucking with those rules every other year. Um, I also think... Under the Siege is none of the, these other songs I could sing a. They, none of them exist. Yeah, but, no. but, under, but yeah, the under the sea. No, I mean under the sea is a banger. To be, I clear, was going to say it's also just the the earworm thing. That's I think yeah. that's the big thing. If you're a parent who took your kid to see this and you're voting on the Oscars like a couple months later, you're just like I have not gotten that song out of my head. The, you know, the only yes, the only thing is, it, it, and I, it's a good win. It's just that. After that, they always give it to the ballad. Beauty and the Beast, yeah. Whole New World, Can You yeah. Feel the Love Tonight are the winner. And it's like it, it's none of those, fun, I think, are the best The fun song right. one. Yeah. But this is right. his only, the only Oscar he was alive for, right? The other. I, yeah. I believe he that's died, right. Right. He did. Because he died before Beauty and the Beast yeah. Um, came yeah. out. It's my, wild. My fun per- personal story is my parents actually went to the Golden Globes that year because my dad directed many episodes of a television show called Empty Nest, um, which was a Golden Girls spinoff. And Richard Also Goldman, a, a TV show uh, called The In-Laws, uh, Dennis Farina. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, uh, and they ran into Howard there. But also I was there because I was in utero. So I wow! Hey, <laughs> we stand. He is. I mean, I highly recommend the the Howard documentary on Disney Plus for people who haven't seen it. It's really good it's context, really especially good. for these two uh, episodes, this and Aladdin that we're doing. Uh, but it is just it is one of those uh, artistic losses that is is pretty difficult to even calculate when you yeah. think about like this is his first thing that really permeates the pop culture at large. And then he's dead, you know, within like three no, years. Within, he with within two years. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like he he told Mencken that he had AIDS the night they won the Oscar for this movie. And right. Then, right. Two years. Later. Right. And, and, a, a year later, he was dead. It's, it's, it's just kind of impossible to even imagine what he would have done. Uh, right. There would have another... been 10 Disney movies. Yes. Right. If, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, it's, it's so wild. And I do feel like as I, I don't know. I mean, it's, we've, we talked about the AIDS crisis when we did the Philadelphian episode. Uh, but, but it's, it's like, it was such a, a uniquely tragic thing in terms of how many artistic voices we lost because of the specific, you know, right. obviously the communities that were affected most severely by, uh, the AIDS crisis in a way where, like, I, I don't know if there's been the, the tragedy of that scale in COVID times, you know? If there's, like, a no, clear, I mean, like... Right. We, it's hard to reckon with, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's just I, certainly watching the Ashman documentary however many months ago when it launched, I couldn't stop thinking of uh, weird weird cultural parallels. Um, I think there's a thing with this movie in terms of its box office performance that happens a couple times uh, in this era of Disney where they have like two movies and one of them they think is the big deal. And one of them, they're just like, oh, who knows? And, right. and the who knows movie always. Right. So Oliver and company was the big movie, right? They were like, this right, is, yes. we're making a younger, more modern it's pop driven. It's all this shit. And then little mermaid became the big thing. It was, uh, I mean, I know the big, 
thought was, would this be the first animated movie to make a hundred million dollars? And it came close. And then that threshold is finally crossed by, um, Beauty and the Beast. Aladdin becomes the first to make $200 million, but this did 85 first round. It did. It correct. It did $85 million, um, domestic, and I guess its final worldwide total, probably yeah. including everything, is like two hundred and thirty or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, right. Before it comes um, out on video and whatever. And I was saying right before we recorded, they put this out on video within six months of it coming out in theaters, which was seen as radical. Was treated right. like it was the HBO Max move. Um, but the other two examples of the thing I was talking about, Treasure Planet and Lilo and Stitch, was that same deal, mm-hmm. uh, and um, Pocahontas and Lion King. Right, that's that's the one I always think of. Right? Yeah. They were like Lion King, ugh, boy. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, Pocahontas obviously will kill for us. But that's the thing. They're thinking two movies yeah. back. You know, that's what right. it always is. You know, and it makes sense, obviously. Yeah. Um, the movie opened number three on November 17th, 1989, because it opened only on a thousand screens. Because Disney, yeah. especially back then, loved to do a rollout. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not number three. It's not number one at the box office, Griffin. Number one at the box office is... Opening huge, I gotta say, sixteen million dollars in nineteen eighty nine is hmm. is a solid opening for a movie that is universally thought of as a stinker. Interesting uh, was a sort of a big passion project for a giant movie star that I guess did not bomb financially, but was a you know razzy winner. You know what I mean? Like, is it an Eddie Murphy movie? It is. It's it's uh, it's not Harlem Nights, is it? It is Harlem Nights. Yeah, see, it, I argued about this with you recently because I feel like Harlem Nights right. came up in some other episode. Harlem Nights it did, was Back to a the Future hit. Part. It was right. a hit, right? Back to the Future Part Two is a couple weeks later. It's yeah, a week later. That's so. the thing. Like Harlem yeah. Nights did not ignite the world, but it was a hit. Made money. Yeah. Right. But people were just like, no, Eddie, you've yeah. gone too far, Eddie. You can't direct. You can't make dramas, Eddie. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Right? Like it was like this. Just classic, ah, oh, the star is overcooked. I don't know. 89 is also like the first modern box office year where you have right, like big opening Last Crusade, like Batman, that. Ghostbusters yeah. 2. Yeah. Back to the Future 2. Back course. to the Future 2. Yeah. And Little Mermaid. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, right. So, a lot of these are in the Back to the Future game. Uh, so, number two, Griffin, high concept comedy, director we will cover one day, hmm. uh, star comeback. It's a star comeback. Oh, God, you yes. devil. It's not, oh, God, you devil. <laughs> um, star comeback. <laughs> I might make that my new go-to bad answer. It's a good one versus bad like Casper, a spirited beginning. Uh, yeah, no, I think that one's uh, all played out. So I'm going to say my next guess is Casper, a spirited beginning. <laughs> You know, we could do the Oh God franchise if you want. Yeah, let's do <laughs> Patreon that. one day. Yeah, I want to uh, no longer have a stable income. Let's do the Oh God franchise. <laughs> I want to absolutely look a I gift horse say, in the mouth. Can we do all three Oh God movies? We haven't we haven't re- re- recorded them yet, but the announcement of, of Croc Dundee went over okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> people are less flummoxed than I thought they would be. <laughs> But I'm also just like, it's three. I don't know. What do we, they, come on, give us the mulligan. Um, um, come on. Okay, okay, okay. So it's a it's a director we'll probably cover one day. Is the director primarily a comedy director? Yes. Um, and it's a big star comeback. 
It is. Although he's not like on the poster because it's a high concept comedy. So the concept is the real star. Oh, 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 of course. It's look who's talking. Look who's talking. Yeah. Look who's talking. It, who's talking, Griffin? The baby. The baby is talking. You ever the think about how talking. solid of a premise that is for a movie? I think about it it's all pretty- the time. I think it's about, pretty good. Ben, I think I think about it so often. She's talked about it too that she just like you know, like had a huge hit and then a big flop and then Hollywood wasn't hiring her anymore and she was like I need a premise that's such a slam dunk that no one won't greenlight it. That a- like Amy Heckerling to be clear. Yeah, yeah, Heckerling was just like I dare you to not make this movie with this premise. <laughs> yeah, I mean you can't yeah. not. And there's no. all this stuff about story and what's his name? I don't know. The guy like Robert McKee is all about. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that guy. But then it's like, what if you could understand what baby said? <laughs> You're and saying they like throw ad- the books adults. out. Yeah. <laughs> Abandon the formula. Movies should just be about shit. Like what if a baby talk? It is. It is weird. Like what was the thing I was looking at? I, I forget why I went down this rabbit hole, but in terms of like the line that is so thin between like, the biggest comedies of the 70s, 80s, and 90s and movies that destroyed people's careers, right? Where you're just like, any which way but loose, like, that's such a flip of a coin that audiences like that, but then, like, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot is just, like, ruinous to Sloan. Um, Okay. Number four at the box office. Okay. uh, Is a comedy drama... Big hit, enduring classic, I would say, uh, sort of the prototypical chick flick, but I mean that in a good way, obviously. Got it. Um, uh, it's Oh God, You Devil. Uh, no, it's 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 uh, it's either Steel Magnolias or Fried Green Tomatoes. It's Steel Magnolias. Okay. Fried Green, Green Tomatoes is sort of a 90s. Yeah, Coming I, back right. to the WPA Theater. Mm-hmm. There you go. Steel Magnolias uh, originated at the WPA Theater with Margot Martindale. So did your that's mom, right? Did your mom discover Ellen Green? I guess. I mean, she gave her the role. Yeah, that role. But I don't know the story yeah, about like how Ellen came to them. Sure. I do know. I have a like. I I can tell you something about the casting process that I don't think my mom would live on the record. Like, but after this. Okay, cool. Oh, okay, sure. Right. Um, number five at the box office before we go off mic mm-hmm. is an animated film. Uh, another film we'll possibly probably cover one day. So it's another a Bluth? director. It's a Bluth. Um, I'm trying to think because they were always the Bluths and the Disneys were always paired in this right, era. They're always matched against each other. I would say this movie is a flop. Hmm. Um, it's sort of his first big flop. Um, it's a movie that truly kind of just unsettled me as a kid and I didn't like it at all. And I would love to rewatch it. Is it Rats of Nim? No, right. Secret of Nim fucking rules. That's his first movie. This is his right, fourth right. movie. I get his timeline fucked up. Okay. And it's not American Tale. Uh, no, that's his second movie. It goes Secret of Nim, American right. Tale, Land Before Time. Right. It's not Land so Before hit, Time. Hit, hit, and right. And this. Uh, it's not Thumbelina, is it? Mm, no, that's later. Right, it's not Rocket Doodle. This is sort of the turning point. No, that's yeah. This movie is right. Uh, it's it's not Troll it in Central Park is later. What is this? Now you're just naming. All I know, his I know. This I'm trying to process of elimination. That's <laughs> right. I it's obviously it's not Titan A. It's not Anastasia. No, it's, right. Okay. Right. 
What's the so one the I'm other not one. fucking you got thinking all of them, of. but like this one. It's famous. I feel like you're going to really feel like an idiot. This is, uh, you know, this is a pretty famous one. Is it All Dogs Go to Heaven? That's right. Yeah, a, a really yeah. upsetting <laughs> film. Yeah. Just, Wait, just, there was just a clue. Crazy. There was and just a thing. clue. Oh, that's the thing is with Little Mermaid, um, people are like, Disney's over, Bluth beat him. Yeah. You know, like, because yes. he's had these three hits. Yeah. Uh, and so they're like, yeah, fuck Disney. They can't get get out of this tailspin. It's all Bluth, baby. And then Disney's like, we're going to do a beautiful musical about a fairy tale. Yeah. And uh, and Bluth's like, yeah, what if I do a movie about how dogs die? Right. It's like about like a, a, a fucking like scummy, like pussy hound dog. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, All Dogs Go to Heaven is fucking bizarre. That's an example of a movie where I uh, went like, how dare they with the title? Right, exactly. I was almost <laughs> like, can we turn this off? Like, yes. I just, I can't handle this. Absolutely not. Which yeah. all the more reason to cover Bluth because right. that's the whole thing with Bluth where you're like, as a kid, you're like, I love 90% of this, 10% of this, I kind of wish you could erase it from my memory. Right. Like, I'm too freaked out. And it's it's the fucking Burt Reynolds crew. It's Reynolds, yeah. Del Deloise, Lonnie Anderson, Charles Nelson, Riley. Yeah, and Deloise absolutely crushes it, I will say. Yeah. He just completely annihilates. But then the sequel is Charlie Sheen and Deloise. Reynolds doesn't come back, but Deloise does. I believe I have seen All Dogs Go to Heaven 2, yes. Yeah, wow. Um, Yeah, I mean, and also we have to mention that the uh, villain in All Dogs... Go to heaven is a pit bull named Carface. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I blocked that out of my memory. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, some other movies. Uh, there's a movie uh, called Dad. Oh, Don't know the, this movie. Uh, yeah, that's the Jack Lemon, Ted oh, Danson, right. and Ethan Hawk movie. Hawk, right? Yeah. Baby Hawk. And Lemon's uh, got like really good old age makeup in it. Uh, right. And then you've got um, Prancer in oh, that sure. uh, sort of like sort of slightly cheapo fantasy movie boom of the 80s. Is, is dad um, D- David Gary Goldberg? Is it like it's like the one movie of someone who didn't really out. make movies? It is a, it is yes. a Gary David yes. Goldberg. Yes. The, yes. of course, creator of Family Ties and Spin yep. City. Um, that's funny. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. Right. Yeah. That's, and, you know, uh, the bear is uh, in the top 10 crimes and misdemeanors. And uh, a movie called Staying Together mm. with um, Sean Astin and Melinda Dillon and Stalker Channing. It kind of looks like a standby me kind of thing. If you say so. Okay. Um, we're done. We're done. Uh, Little Mermaid, a film uh, that uh, works. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> Uh, life under the sea. Movie. It's better than anything they got up there. Yeah, uh, Esther, do you do you have any final thoughts? No, it's just like this movie is so important to me, and it remains important to me. Oh, and I have to acknowledge that Griffin's background this whole time has been the um, poster <laughs> the point. from The Little Mermaid Live. Um, which aired on nope. ABC Shaggy. and featured John Stamos doing the most in- unhinged Le Poisson. I watched this live. John Stamos was out of control and Shaggy was off key the whole time as Sebastian. It's true. It was wild. <laughs> but the but the casting is pretty good. Like, I mean, Latifah's Ursula is better. And- yeah, that's good. 
uh, Cravello as Ariel, I like a lot. Yes, but yeah. um, fucking uh, Stamos as the chef makes Rene Aubergenois look like fucking Rene Falconetti from The Passion of Joan of Arc. Where you're like, this is like a subtle and moving work. <laughs> Stamos is off the chain in that. Thing. David, David, the, the what you just said is so funny, I can't even process it. <laughs> I'm not even laughing. I'm just like, I feel like my head is spinning around. The fact that you landed that, that you went from <laughs> Renee to Renee. I, I thank I, you. I, 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 oh, my God. The episode's oh, over. Esther, thank the you so much over. for being on the show. Uh, everyone uh, should uh, buy your book, A Field Guide to Internet Boyfriends. Um, I'm very happy that, that Kristen Stewart was included. I think that's the kind of outside-the-box thinking we need these days. Uh, I, I the only think way to put America back on track. She's not considered uh, within the Internet Boyfriend Pantheon, but she absolutely belongs to be there. It's the exact same sort of uh, parasocial relationship we have with her. Um <laughs> And uh, you're the best in the biz, and I'm glad we we finally let you talk about a movie that doesn't uh, make you angry. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> hey, um, and thank you all for listening. Uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks to Joe Bone and Pat Rounds for our artwork, uh, music for this show by the great American novel. Go to blankies.reddit.com yeah. for some real nerdy shit. And to our Shopify page. You can buy merch, uh, Comedy Point coins, restock. Hopefully they haven't sold out yet. And if they have sold out again, then we certainly will be ordering more. But you can get the uh, Talk in the Walk 2020 shirt there. Um, tune in next week for Aladdin, another movie that was successful. <laughs> A hit! <laughs> Has had some, dun, 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 dun. some degree of cultural staying power. <laughs> uh, unlike the Crocodile Dundee movies, which you can her- currently hear us uh, talk about on Patreon. That's right. Uh, and as always, I I don't understand uh, why King Triton's nipples remind David of fathers. Big nips, big dad. <laughs> <laughs>